Soft Podcast, the number one C-800 podcast, and the only C-800 podcast that I know of. And it doesn't matter if there are others, because this is the best C-800 podcast ever, period. If you disagree, go and f*** yourself. Join the Jim Cook as he interviews all the stars of C-800, with successful interviews such as... It's the Jam Co. This is the FWZ Podcast. You listen to the FWZ Podcast back again for another week. Another week to talk to people about old pro wrestling, a little bit of the old CAW. Before we bring on my guest, which is Chloe, who is the head honcho at the All-Star CAW League. I think this is going to be a great podcast. We're going to be getting into some separate issues to CAW, and I think it's going to be a real eye-opener for everybody that's going to be listening to this. Before we do get into the guest going to check in with you guys discuss a couple of things you saw the video for the next headline and we did of course reveal the person who was removed from the next headline was of course el davido now if you're out there and you're thinking man why did they get eliminated i want this person to be eliminated why didn't this person do anything why did this person stay well that's why you vote dummies now this should be a question of if you are voting once, twice. And bear in mind, the system that we use, that I've done, actually allows you to vote at least once per hour. So it's not on an unlimited one. It's not on a per IP address. I do it so you got a little bit of the both. You've got a little bit of being able to vote multiple times, but within a period that isn't spamming it, as I had recently, where I had to, to sort it out. We use swallows that try to flood it. But this is a indication to say when you do want to vote, Vote for who you want to stay, not for who you want to eliminate. That way, people could be back in. But round two is coming soon, coming back to you. And Event Horizon will also be coming to you at some point at, in the future as well. Got to be juggling a few of those things. Going to be juggling some cool style stuff as well. But all the content will be coming out. Now, my guest who is coming up now, we've got Chloe from the All-Star Call League. And one of the interesting things about Chloe that we're going to be talking about is sort of transgender issues you you know about. So some of you do, some of you don't know. Chloe uh, was Brad, and she is going through a transition, which to some people is almost a very touchy subject that people don't want to get involved in. I understand that because sometimes there's people out there that you may want to discuss these type of situations with, and they may be a little bit defensive. They may not want to talk about it. But the great thing I'm happy about Chloe is she is going to really educate us on a couple of things that maybe I don't know, maybe a lot of people don't know, but what I'm, I'm grateful for is that she's able to be quite open with these things, and I'm really, really excited that this is going to be a podcast that you're going to be listening to and get it on. So uh, let's bring her in now. Chloe, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. It is currently um, nearly 8 p.m. over here in Australia right now, and, um, well, I've been waiting on this all day, so, um, yeah. It's um currently um Sunday over here right now, so I'm so I'm capping off my weekend in a pretty good way. Not gonna lie. 
well, uh, you made me get my ass up in the mornings, which is uh, different for me. I usually do it in the evenings, but uh, these bloody time zones, it's uh, always a swarm. Why can't we all just be on the goddamn same time zone? Uh, if only, right? If only. But actually, it's kind of a good thing, because that means I wouldn't have to talk to Sean Walsh as much. So actually, it's a, a benefit in disguise. <laughs> now, a few things I want to get into before we uh, get into sort of some... some sort of conversations you are the owner of all star core league now when i was chicken doing this during my research checking out some of these things would you say this is kind of more fantasy based than say original characters oh it's fully fantasy related right. um to my knowledge the only time where we'd ever be listed as anything like original is when we do like crossover shows with um places like dca and whatnot Right. Um, but even then, that's more of a hybrid sort of thing anyway, because DCA also incorporates some fantasy characters in there as well. Um, ACL incorporates full fantasy characters like um, right. from media, like um, anime, video games, all that type of stuff. And it basically just amalgamates. It's basically what you would be accustomed to seeing with places like um, ACW's, SCAW and UCWL and all those other places. So it's actually an interesting conversation we do this because all the people I've had, we've had people like fantasy, people don't like fantasy, and people almost have their their opinion or reason on what it should be and what it shouldn't be. Why did you decide to do fantasy characters rather than original characters? I'm just going to be straight up with you. It's It's sort of been something I've just always wanted to do because, like, you know when you're younger you have, like, all these ideas for watching all these other shows that and you're just like, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if this guy were to fight this guy? Right, and right, then yeah. as I grew up, it was more just like, what if this guy fought this guy? But it was wrestling. And then yeah. when I found out as I grew up that a lot of people online were doing this as a hobby, that just blew my mind, man. But mm. like, but like, I didn't really like properly get the inspiration to do that sort of thing myself up until like, 2015 wherein i got the inspiration from adam the owner of new dawn pro formerly at jcw at the time of at oh, the time God. where i initially made acl and considering the fact that i my i'll admit my initial line of thought for doing it was man if a guy like adam can make a successful league like he like he has <laughs> what's really stopping me so like well first and so, foremost you don't don't compare yourself to new dawn pro good god you've already turned the audience away well, this was back before New Dawn Pro was as silly as it is now. <laughs> this was back when it was somewhat serious. Yeah. Well, but, um, sorry. Yeah. On. But um, yeah, the whole f the initial whole inspiration was that was always that lingering thought at the back of my mind, like, would I really be able to pull something off like this? And that creative spark just kept on going and going, and then it was just like, fuck it, why not? So when I check out some of the stuff and some of the specials that you did, some of the uh, some of the paper or CP, whatever we want to say, on some of these, yeah. uh, see on some of these. One thing I got to say straight away: your championship tiles are sweet. Like they're really cool how you made them. Like they're really, really good. Like in terms of something that's really put together quite well. They're very polished. They're very neat. So I got to say those belts are sweet. The way that you made those. Checking out some of the uh, the Millennium Championship, the World Title, the Crossover Championship. Some of those are really, really nice. I like that. Well, I'm glad. Um, unlike a lot of people, I take pride in the fact that um, I'm actually able to create something that good as you're putting it like that, based on the in-game assets. Like, aside yeah. from like um, just importing the logos that were made outside of it, 
and that's only for like a few bits here and there for like to signify that yes it is upgraded for acl and whatnot like the rest of it is just using the in-game assets so the fact that i'm able to the fact that you're saying that's that good when like i've actually just been using the things that the game actually gives us i feel kind yeah. of proud for that so i uh, thank you very much for that well when i look through them i mean what, what i like about them is you could look through all those championships with oh my god there's so many championships but each particular one has its own thing that makes it different if i look at something like the lioness championship for example very polished very neat obviously shows who it's for but then you've got something like the the lioness tag team championship a little bit of a different belt design a bit more of a circle rather than sort of the oval shape for the lioness one i think that's really cool i really like your uh man i gotta get you to make me one of those styles for my show man that's really good i really like those really uh really really nice well if you do need anybody to, to have any sort of help with making any belts like that um just feel free to give me a call i'm more than happy to help out you know if anybody out there needs some championship belts hit this girl up because I'm telling you something this is awesome some of these belts but anyway I'm getting too excited about belts let's move on so we're talking about some of the uh, some of the characters in, in your show one of the criticisms that I had that from some people on here that, who are very much the sort of original characters very 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 specific um, and they're they're kind of they're very particular on sort of you're either on one side and you're not some of them are sort of a little bit bit different but for example in my show i have a lot of celebrities so that kind of balances out just to make something a little bit more fun so you've got a difference got some serious stuff got some comedy stuff makes it a bit different than one side when we talk about some of the guys even in sort of cool stars who maybe have uh let's just say original character versus spider-man and then they think to themselves well how am i going to have to have original character go over on spider-man how can spider-man go over on, on something and they kind of have a bit of an issue with sort of booking fantasy characters to go over on original guys well i've talked to malik about this and i've talked about uh, this deal who was talking about dca where do you stand on does a fantasy character that goes over on an original character if that almost diminishes the the guy who's an original character i guess it really sort of depends on where they are in terms of character and in terms of a story like this is the main thing I keep on telling people. It, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, like, fully with the result of who goes over who. So long as it fits with a long-term storyline, there's always going to be some way for each character to have some kind of reason as to why this is happening. Like, at the end of the day, if you just equate going over as to wins and losses, you're looking at it in the short term, and that's kind of nearsighted if i can be quite honest right so like so long as there is a plan and it's not just like oh this person's going over because oh why not then that in itself is also very nearsighted and so long as there is a like a reason for both of them to have a win or a loss with this and have it mean something either way regardless of the result on either side it at the end of the day that's all i really feel like that should matter at the end of it Going into another topic that sort of, again, is, is you're either one or the other that bothers a lot of people is the way, and this kind of links into sort of the, the transgender issues that will go in a little bit, the way that women are played, the way that women are sort of perceived in, um, in sort of CAW, as it were. We've had many people that we've had where some people say, man, the, some of those guys that have women uh, characters, they tend to sexualize them quite a lot. 
and then I, which I recently found out just last night, I was thinking about this, some of the guys that I've actually had on, on the show, which I'll probably ask them a, a lot of time about stuff like COH, AWF, even GSF, I was thinking to myself, one thing I never asked them is why they don't have women on their show. And they'll probably give me sort of a, an answer for that if I ask them. But it's almost that I was fine. I was talking to Al about Al Cabrera a few, a few days ago, and I'm finding that it's almost people don't want to use women as a character because they feel that almost in that dumb misogynistic way it's well all i can do is sexualize them i can't really do anything else like that but i think what are you stupid like there's there's so many ways to use them in a way that isn't sexualized it's i've got i've got my own uh, women's group for example they could be cool i mean hell we're acting like it's almost this impossible thing to portray women as what they are, whether it be they could be cool, they could be badass, they could have their own little thing about them. It could be it could be anything. And you just find a character, you think about, you know, different aspects of that, that character has as different aspects that a woman have. Why why do you think well, first question is why do you think a lot of people tend to sexualize them? And two, why people stay away from it altogether because of that? Well, I'll answer the second question first, because the first one, in all honesty, is a bit of a loaded topic when it comes to any right. side of where of where you may be on that. So um, in terms of why I feel like a lot of people have a lot of issues with writing um, female characters, it mainly boils down to the fact that, um, well, short and to the point, they're not women. They don't necessarily know, yeah. like, if you're... A lot of, and this is by no means me saying that, oh, men can't write female characters correctly that aren't having them be just sexualized um, babes or anything like that. Because if that's the case, then us shame, then that would just be like j shaming them for even just trying to do it at the end of the day. But um, to put it to put it like this, I feel like one of the bigger issues is just that. You gotta tiptoe around a lot of things in terms of writing women as a male, and yeah. I say this as somebody who was, who has been trying to, who, prior to my transition and whatnot, was indeed trying to write women as best as possible, as a male, and this, and there's so much that you can like get wrong or simply just not even like um, be able to be able to essentially just i'm sorry i had a little bit of a um, brain fart there for a second <laughs> but um there's so much that you can either get wrong or there's so much that you could simply just not be able to properly showcase because at the end of the day it's just a it's just oh look at me it's just <laughs> it's a, a both the topics of just like women in car just such a loaded topic that i am just having that i'm even struggling to form a coherent sentence well, here's, on this here's, here's the thing then while you while you got your thoughts the, the thing that i find is for example of course i've got a girlfriend right and sometimes i ask questions with her in terms of how to portray someone but then even as i say that that makes us out to be absolute idiots like we don't know women we don't know what they are or what they are and i know you know of course men can be sometimes very uh horny individuals but that doesn't mean you know everything about them is is sexualized you think about you know, the, the, the big renaissance, whether it were in, in women's, women's wrestling today, you think about every single character, you think, well, what, what, what are they? I mean, when I do my own characters, I don't think, well, this person's a bit more, is, is one dimensional, this is one dimensional. What would I do if I was doing this for a male? Well, I'd look at all aspects of the character. What have I looked at as a woman? You could do it at the same time. The difference is you think about, 
okay, so I, I can think of my own show, for example. I think there's there's one person who pretty much is a very calculated individual, the very cold, the very selfish, the very individual. That's what they are. But then I think about everything apart of that. I think of someone else who is um, smaller, a little bit of a punk rock thing going on. That's what they like to do. That's their their thing. And all these things I just mentioned to you are thought processes into those characters that you would for male. And I just find it weird how that's that's kind of the the the, the brink of what people want to do to stop at the sexualized thing and then end it. And I think that's probably what bothers people because, of course, you know, I think I think things would be different if we had more women in the community because they'd go straight after them and say, "What the hell are you doing?" That's you know that's misogynistic or it's, it's really stupid. You don't sort of get what that is, and maybe it's just a case of people need to look at the character differently and then maybe have their own brainstorming. Well, who is this character? What do they like? What do they don't like? What's their their identity? What's their look? That kind of stuff. Hmm. And I feel like a. Adding on to that as well, I definitely do feel like that puts it up, you've just put it a, a lot more eloquently than I could have, <laughs> to be honest. But the whole thing that I feel like a lot of people do also have a lot of issues with um, getting, like, writing w women as characters in, in core, or even bringing women in as characters in core, is that they just, like... Okay, so there's this one example that I want to bring up, because this actually pinpoints the issue down very eloquently. So... Okay. No doubt we're going to get to talk about COH at some point in this podcast, so no doubt we're going to talk about talk about that. But there's one specific case where I want to talk about, and it has to do with this topic entirely. So in 2018 to 2019, there were a lot of people bringing in all of these, for no reason at all, by the way, they just suddenly started showing up with women valets. And what? the big issue that I had with all of them was that there were like three to five new valets just suddenly showing up for a bunch of men in, ver in COH without any prior knowledge, without any sort of buildup as to who they were. They were basically just mannequins just made to come, come down the aisle with these men for no reason at all than, oh, women manager, please, oh. please just acknowledge like they had no character they didn't even really have a name for the most part and the co the commentators the announcers nobody on there really acknowledged them not even the people that they were being brought in by were being acknowledged and that's honestly as well where i feel like the biggish one of the bigger issues is as well that if they're not that that they fall into one of two categories that the people who can't write them very well either bring them in as valets for no reason whatsoever and and just do nothing with them, or they just completely miss the point of bringing them in entirely and just choose to not really flesh them out. Right. I didn't actually know COH did uh, did did some valets with with that. I mean, I guess that that is also a little bit of a lost art, the sort of the art of the manager. But again, from from what you mentioned, I don't know um about that but that kind of eats into what we're what we're talking about and even when yeah. i've talked to sean a few times about sort of this is way back on like our first episode and talking about in a way when i think about all the leagues i uh talked about especially ecw being another one that it's kind of half of them don't just don't really care for, for sort of women talent so they'll just leave it alone which i guess probably is better than attempting to do it and failing or doing it really badly or they just don't and, and sean said it straight up he's like i just don't like putting you know, women on, on the show. And I guess that's kind of it, but 
As we talk about this, though, this seems more complicated than it really should be in terms of where we're talking about why, you know, a gender can't be perceived in just a way that everybody else is. Like, we're looking way too much into what they should and shouldn't do. And I'm like, guys, do we do we not know women? Do we not know women in our lives? You know, anyone that's just, they are who they are by just, you know, what who they are. It's not, it doesn't have to be a, a total gimmick, as it were, to, to what it is. But that that's going to be a, an issue that sort of keeps coming up again and again on, on a lot of things. And it's interesting to see how, um, how a lot, and actually, even when I go right back to the first episode, one of the things that I said all the time is we need more women doing this kind of stuff and i've got a big fan base and i know there's a lot of women out there that watch it but they don't want to do it but that's that's their thing but i don't know if you know i would would definitely i would definitely agree that we need a lot more actual women involved in this and not just like a bunch of men like posting themselves behind original female characters this isn't to say that i don't support the idea of men bringing about like female characters and then choosing to i guess like act out those characters i suppose in their feds and whatnot but it's more just like be subtle about it be a lot more mindful about what's going on and like at the end of the day there are two camps at the end of the day as to the reasoning as to why women aren't in car and mm. the on one side, you have people that think that the people that over-sexualize women in call, even with um, people who actually do bring, even with women who actually do bring their own characters in and do that type of thing anyway, and they say, oh, no, this, is, this isn't this is good. There's too much over-sexualization. And then there's another camp that thinks, oh, this is okay if it's done tastefully. But And if you try to be middleman on the situation, you're going to get blasted on all cylinders. So, at the end of the day, I feel like women in, virtu- women in call wrestling is definitely going to be a hot-button topic of discussion for as long as call exists. I saw you, uh, I heard you hesitate a little bit there on old, uh, old virtual wrestling there. Yeah, yeah. Call virtual wrestling, I de- I sort of um, deviate between the two when I talk about this little hobby of ours. So um, if I slip up on doing that, I apologize. Well, uh, the, the hit kid worldwide of the world uh, are adults, so we call it virtual wrestling now. If we uh, if we move on to, and, and again, this may be something that you could um, help me out with, because, again, I asked this way back then, and, and kind of the answer was no. But there's women video game players. There's, there's women in general. Why... Yeah. Why are there not any women in this? Because I've asked this question about a thousand times. It seems stupid that everyone can say, well, they're just not involved. Because you think about how we all got involved in this. We maybe have watched something or was part of just a group of guys that like playing games. And I just, I find it. I mean, you look at the damn Twitch streamers out there. The ones that are getting paid the ridiculous amounts of women playing those games. I just find it baffling that there is not even a single person there's some women in this. It, I just find it baffling, quite frankly. I, just, I don't know why that is. Well, my answer on that is quite simple. I think people see Car as sort of a boys club sort of thing. And that's not to say that we sort of give off this sort of stigma just sort of on purpose. It's more just because whenever you look at any sort of Car fed out there, be it like fantasy or original or if you join any of these groups like um, Call Stars or VW or anything like that, it's primarily a bunch of dudes. And as somebody who has been on both sides of it, I will say I will safely say this. 
and this is and what I'm saying right now because I know like uh, people of both camps are gonna listen to this. This is not me ragging on you. This is not me trying to like um just insult you guys or anything. But if I was like a cis woman coming into either of those camps, I would definitely feel very out of place of wondering, do I actually belong here? Because yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of um it's very rowdy on either side. Like, no matter which side you end up being on or which place you end up going to or wanting to create your own sort of thing, you're if you're I can definitely understand the idea as to why women of any kind would feel very hesitant to join call because of that either as a creator or as someone who wants to create a character because call is seen with this stigma of alongside wrestling as being sort of a boys club sort of thing and something that only men are really interested in and that's mm. sort of where i get that idea as to why women aren't necessarily as involved in car and it's not necessarily for the idea that oh we sexualize women a lot because that's what really gets a lot of the attention or simply because of a lot of drama in terms of like where where's the line when it comes to that type of content it's simply because of the fact that it's wrestling wrestling is primarily seen as a very masculine sort of sport and when you're trying to create something like that online of course it's going to be seen as that type of stigma nonetheless yeah. i think I get, I get your point. If if I was a woman coming into this, and then I'm going into one of these groups, and I'm thinking, oh, there's only women here, and there's none, you would kind of be put off and think, well, maybe I don't want to, because you, you'd have that perception of like, you know, the, the weird men around, even though, you know, well, some of us are nice people. I mean, whatever. But that would kind of put you off and me think, okay, I'm not doing it. But I guess my my whole point was, I haven't even seen anybody attempt to, which is almost just more of a maybe we're hidden, maybe that's that's what it is. But hey, that's that's kind of something that does so i'm rolling through your your show the the ac hmm. the acl talking about all these different things on this yeah. the most recent video i saw on the core leak here is the the 2k20 draft the sort of yep. here are you are you moving on to 2k20 is that something you're going to do um I'll be quite honest, I was originally thinking about going to 2K20, like, I bought it on release day. Much oh, to no. a lot of people shaving me in the long term, because I was one of those people that was like, okay, I'll give it a chance, see how we go. And then, because I got it, because, um... I heard a lot of the earlier stuff that came out once people got their hands on it, because, like, there wasn't an earlier release like it was the previous iterations beforehand like people in america got their copies on release day and then people here in australia got it like a few hours later and i i heard all of the news about how glitchy it was about how much of a mess it was and about how they were saying oh we're gonna patch it in so i just said to myself okay i'm not gonna put it in until it gets patched patch one comes in it's still a mess so I say, okay, we'll wait on, we'll wait for a few more patches to see how it goes, and then it gets to waiting for about three months down the line, and I finally have to admit to myself, right, this is a piece of shit, and then I promptly return <laughs> my copy back, back with the DLC intact. I haven't uh, talked much about it because I originally was never going to go to a new game anyway, just because I don't have the time to, to make all the characters. And back when I was doing it back in the day doing here comes the pain 2006 2007 to that it just becomes a chore and you just can't be bothered especially if it's a, a brand new game that's different but then when all this came out it got to a point where i thought man i dodged a, i dodged a bullet there that's but it also makes things. and i was talking to sean again about this where it kind of makes things a bit difficult because i thought okay so we do call stars right we stay on 19 we don't do 20 we skip it fine 
and then of course we have the community creations thing and that turns off so okay okay well we we put all the people in as much as we can we do call stars early you try and get everyone that you can maybe people think to the future and grab guys that you might use later on but then i get to that point of okay so we then go around to the next year we're not on 20 but whatever 21 or whatever it goes now if the rumors are true, there's not going to be another one, then we're basically stuck because we don't have that next one to go to. It might be a pile of crap as well, but then we get to a point where we think, okay, now we either continue making them from scratch, which again, I'm, I'm cool with doing all the time. I've done that when we try to do sort of cross console things. Um, mm. We're going to get to a point where we get stuck because then when we do the next one and there's maybe new characters or new attires, whatever it may be, we're going to get stuck in terms of how we train them over. And then if it doesn't end up being a thing, then it's kind of up. And I said to him, you know, where, where do we go from there? And he kind of said, well, we'll, we'll get to that bridge when we cross to it. But even I'm thinking, you know, what the hell are we going to do? Because then it kind of makes things very difficult because there's no image creator. Things we can't even do it that way. It, it becomes sort of... Well, I don't know. What you, I don't know what you do. I mean, I know there's this this AEW game which potentially might be coming out, and that would be a good thing to springboard onto. But if essentially, if you're in that position, you know, for yourself, I'm guessing there's going to be characters that you would create. If you got to a point where you'd, I, I mean, when I'm thinking about it now, actually, probably people would just be like, well, "We're going to have to go to 20 because we don't have a choice." But you know, you, you've got like a glitched up game, so you would. I guess everyone would have to go and do 20 if they wanted to, even though I would refuse to do 20 whatsoever, right? Hmm. Like, I definitely know a lot of people that would straight up refuse to go to 20 if it, if they meant they had to deal with that game. Like, I know a lot of people that would much rather go back to the days of, um, like, five generations ago, back to 2K14, they'd have to use 2K20. And yeah. to them, I say, more power to you, but, like... I personally can't go back to that as well. Like, I would rather stay on 2K19 personally, given everything that's going on. But, like, if you really had to twist my twist my arm about it and said that that if two that if 2K were pretty much saying we're not putting out a 2K20 whatever until we actually get this stuff all sorted, then I would say, okay, fine, I'll get 2K20. Yeah. But you would have to really twist my arm on that because. I purposefully made that decision around the time where I was recording the stuff for the draft, and I couldn't even record one match without a glitch happening. Yeah. You know how many matches I I recorded on 2K19 without ever getting a glitch on it? Zero. It took, well, one, actually. It was yeah. the very last match I was recording for ACL season in, two, in 2019, and, it, and I came across the glitch wherein one of the characters fell into the ring and they were uh, and their entire hitbox was just like sunken down with them so like they so i pretty much had to scrap that and i was right in the middle of a 30 minute recording and i'm just like god damn it <laughs> yeah, yeah so well, i had to so i pretty much just had to um scrap that entire recording all because of that one glitch and i was so annoyed by that yeah that's that's i think that people are worried about and even i sort of checked out you know is this really as bad as people think and one of the things i use number one would be my big thing is what does highlight real look on it and then i checked that out from someone putting it out and even they were saying it does seven minutes seven seconds um you can't change this it ends up freezing it's it's sort of the frame rate kind of messes up so it's like well like i'm not doing that if that's going to be something that that works but we live in hope 
in terms of what happens, but we'll have to keep waiting and seeing on, on, on what that is. One thing I want to talk to you about that I have just found as I look at it, and it brings a smile to my face when I'm looking down at your roster. You have Max Caulfield and Chloe Price in one of my favorite games of all time. Life is strange. Best game ever. I don't care if anybody out there wants to argue with me. If you haven't played it, go and play it now. I'm a big guy in those kind of decision-making kind of games. They're really, really cool. And I hadn't played those sort of indie games for, for a while. And when I found this game, I tell you something, it, like, it stole my heart. Chloe, it stole my freaking heart because it just, it, it kind of, it sucked me in. And the whole story behind the actual video game is, is something that I, I can't forget. The story in it is really, really fantastic. That whole music behind it as well and how it was able to sort of create that kind of mood, I think, which is which is great with some of the things. Have you played the uh, the, the second installment? Um, I've played the first two episodes of it, but um I've yet to actually pick up I've yet to actually pick up the other three installments, I think. I think it's four I think it's um two or three installments that have come out since uh, the last time I played it. But um yeah, I've been really enjoying of Life is Strange 2 in all honesty. Um even though it is with a new cast of characters and everything yeah. like that, I feel like that's sort of what you really needed in all honesty because like if you kept on following the same characters from the first life is strange constantly it, it well it would be nice to see the continued story which they did actually do a comic book series on yeah, yeah. which i actually do really not like in that i like the idea that you have a new cast of characters with these same uh, with these same weird abilities and i love the fact it's not just time travel anymore it's like a bunch of other abilities as well and that's really mm. cool in my opinion the the this is the second one is completely different to the first one and it's it's probably a bit more political in terms of what i mean if you play the first two you probably got sort of the gist of the story but um it's 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 a weird installment it's in the sense that what i kind of find is when you look at chloe you look at max they kind of likable characters because of the stuff that they're mm. going through the only probably criticism that i'd say about life is strange 2 is that oh what's that little kid's name i can't remember the name now um have to research this up because I can't remember is the one that can do the the power of um levitation. God, what's that guy's name? I know the one you're talking about, and the name is escaping me as well. <laughs> uh what we got? We got Dan Daniel. Daniel, that's the one. So you got mm. Daniel and Sean. So Sean's the other brother, Daniel's the other one. What I'm finding about this game is you don't you see Daniel as not really like a likable character. Like you see him as a bit of a whiny bitch, quite frankly. But at the same time, it's you've got Sean who's trying to kind of almost be the big brother and sort of steer him in the right direction. But you've got sort of Daniel who's... And I'm not talking about being a whiny bitch because, of course, you know, what happens with his father. But I'm talking more about it It just becomes an unlikable character because he just doesn't help anybody but, you know, himself. And I find that quite weird to sort of be able to, to create that. But if you haven't checked out that second game, do check that out. And if you don't know Chloe... Uh, there is a little teeny weeny hint back to the first one, which I won't tell you about. So there is a little uh, a little thing in the second one, towards sort of the end, where it is a little bit of a um, a throwback to the past. So I will uh, I'll leave it at that for you. Well, if that's pretty much getting me a little bit inspired to go back to it, I don't know what will at this point. Well, you should do. Did you did you play that before the storm one as well? Yes, actually, um, I remember. I, this actually came about almost as soon after I 
got my PC built back in 2018, um, I finally was, was able to say to myself, right, I can actually play, like, proper games on my um, computer now, because, like, I was using, like, a very old laptop I was using for um, both editing and ever since I was in um, university and whatnot, um, and it was just this really basic laptop that I could barely play games on, so when I finally had, like, a proper PC and whatnot, I was just saying to myself, right, What's on Steam? And lo and behold, the first thing that comes onto my screen is is Life is Strange Beyond Before the Storm. Yeah. And um honestly, it's a short it's a shorter ver it's a shorter one compared to the original Life is Strange, but yeah. it does sort of give you a it does really flesh out the whole story between Chloe and Rachel's relationship that I'll be quite honest, we get a lot of hints about in the original Life is Strange, but this one really sort of fleshes it out a lot more and, and as to why Chloe is so what is so heart is so distraught about what happens with Rachel and whatnot, and whenever she gets mentioned, because we're always given this idea as to who Rachel was to Chloe, yeah. but before the storm basically just helps gives us more of an idea without giving us the entire story, mind you. There's a lot of things here and there that are left very ambiguous, and I really love it for that. And oh, well, again, I was, I was a big fan of it. So when I saw it being the, like, oh, the story's not in it. But what really annoyed me about it is the ending. I think the ending really pissed me off because I feel like there's a big, big old plot hole in the sense of. By the way, we're going to be talking about the ending. Have you played the ending? Yes, yes, I have. Right, I don't, I don't want to give it away. It, by the way, if if you haven't played it, then I'll, I'll try and um, I'll try not give it away because I don't want to do that to people. But the how how can I do this without sort of spoiling stuff? The ending where basically what happens to them both and what happens to um, Rachel. What doesn't make sense is that if you remember the beginning of the actual story, hmm. they're, they're talking about how, um, oh, whatever that drug dealer's name is, and Rachel and how they were, she ends up going with him at the beginning of the story, but towards the end of this story, it's supposed to be Chloe and Rachel and that are together. And that's built up to up to beyond the storm. And you know, the, the, the twists and turns of them are sort of being together in a relationship. And then you start the beginning of the actual game and it's like, well, yeah, she went off with a drug deal and that's it. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Mm, yeah, that was one of the big things I was never really so happy about. I would say, cause like, that sort of just really just sort of throws like a it sort of resort it sort of rewrites what happens in the act in Life is Strange just a little bit and sort of retroactively adds this bit to Rachel in a sense and it doesn't really make that much sense. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's it's something anyway that that the should play if you look at sort of a a game which is it's not an action packed game. It's not something that has uh, you know you'd be sort of button smashing a lot of times, but. It's something that it, it is a, a great story, and that's what it's all important about. Whatever we do is always a great story, and that is something you can really sink your teeth into and really getting into sort of the emotional side of uh, of the story. But we're going to be coming back to your show in a few moments. We're going to be talking about some of the characters in your show, but uh, we're going to take a little bit of pause on the, the CAW. We're going to be talking about some uh, some various things on uh, to do with you. By the way, the name Chloe, did you get that from Chloe from the game, or is there no link between that at all? Um, I'm not gonna lie, part of it was initially from that. I just heard that was it actually sort of did come about because when I did play Before the Storm 
this was like two years ago, and this was around about the time where I was initially starting to question a lot of things about that. And right. hearing the name just over and over again in my head was just like, you know what? That actually does sound kind of nice. And that's initially where I sort of did get the name Chloe from originally. And I'm sort of not afraid to say that because, like, I do really like the character of Chloe Price. And I feel like right. even though a lot, of, even though certain people and I do say certain people because I have talked with a lot of people on both sides that on as both fans of Life is Strange and at and in sort of core wrestling and whatnot that don't particularly like her character for certain reasons. I definitely do like Chloe as a character, mainly due to the fact that there's a lot of different layers to her, aside from just being this really hormonal young adult who's just been through so much shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of get that. That that makes sense. And um, I, you, that's kind of the whole point of, of making a, a character of, of someone that I think that what that whole story works as being related to it in, in the sense of that's probably where the life is strange too with the two boys. It probably only relates to a certain audience because of sort of the, the question with America and immigration and stuff like that. Whereas this mm. one is, is pretty much the, the teenage audience, the young adult audience who are going through whatever it is they're going out, whether it be sexuality or anything, just teenage hormonal stuff that, that kind of works on uh, that sort of stuff as well. Now we're going to be coming to, we're going to be talking about you. We're going to be talking to the person behind the character here. So, one of the things that we were talking about before uh, we, we were sort of talking about um, different situations in terms of you. So you, you of course, you would like to be referred to now as Chloe, right? Yes. So what's what is your story? What is your sort of when we when we sort of go right we go way 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 back to you know you going from having a transition to something. Um, that some people may not be able to necessarily get their head around. And this is kind of what this conversation is about. This conversation is going to be about sort of understand it from your perspective and, and sort of inside the mind of somebody that's going through that. Where was the first thought in your mind where you thought to yourself, I'm not happy being this type of person. I want to be that kind of person. Some people may be thinking that's a decision that you take overnight. And I can imagine that wasn't the case at all. It's something that can be a long process it can be something that can come up come away come up sort of tell me the sort of beginning we'll start at the beginning in terms of where it was that you decided to think you know this is what i'm thinking this is what i this is who, who i want to become well it's funny that you actually say that because like it, it it you are definitely correct in that it's not just something that you can just make overnight for me personally this was a decision that took seven years of me just coming to terms with a lot of these things and Believe me when I say seven years. Seven years is a lot of gives you a lot of time to think through a lot of these things, and um, it all just started back when I was um sixteen, and I just met this person online through a um through a um, I'm can't I can't remember. I think it was Reddit at the time. I was just like browsing oh, through right. like a bunch of different fandoms at the time, and I started talking with this one person, and throughout the time we were talking, they end up telling me that they're transgender themselves. I didn't okay. really think too much of it at the time, mainly because, like, that wasn't necessarily something I was really, like, all that aware of at that period of time. But, like, after but after actually talking with them a bit and actually getting to know a little bit more about, like, what it is about, because I was essentially, like, a lot of people that are a bit in the dark about this type of thing myself, like yourself, Jamco. And yeah. once I actually had a bit more of an idea as to where it all came from and as to part of how it got to this point... I started to think to myself, wait, 
I've had those feelings myself. What? And mm. then the seeds just started to get planted in my head, just going all like, wait, is, th is this actually something that I may be wanting? And then as it went along, I this person that um, I met online, I still talk with her now, and I thank her endlessly for the fact that she actually um, helped me through a lot of that, a lot of those um, times. Because for the sake of this, I'm I'm going to call her Katie for this, because that's the okay, um, sure. that's the name that she uses online and whatnot. But um, she Katie basically um, helped me through a lot of these circumstances, and she's still one of my best friends online to this day. And I unfortunately have not been able to get the pleasure of meeting her online because um, of circumstances and a lot of other things getting in the way. But um, definitely at some point, one of my big goals at some point in my life is to meet her in person and give her a huge thank you for everything that she's done for me because sure. she's helped she's helped me sort through a lot of things in my head, and she basically just sort of really helped. Um, in a sense, just sort of calm me down in a lot of times where I was sort of panicking a little bit over, wait, is this actually how I'm feeling? I don't feel like this is okay. But um, the first sign where I really felt like I wasn't exactly all that comfortable with being male was, believe it or not, in 2017, where I started to sort of see myself less as male. And I started to have a start to play out play around with the idea of having more female attributes because I had finally right. moved out of my parents' place. And when you finally move out of your family house, you finally feel like you can be a little bit more open about yourself in a way because yeah. you don't have many restrictions like having to abide by parental rules or anything like that. And yeah. as a... Um, Gosh, yeah, I was about 20 when this happened. This is like three years ago. Look at me. I'm forgetting my own age at this point. I'm, I'm getting old. But um, but to be but I'm um, getting back on track. Um, yeah, I was 20 when this all happened and I had only just moved out. And having finally gotten this opportunity to finally just like experiment a little bit more with this type of thing, I started to really like it a lot, actually. And it got to the point wherein I actually started to see myself less as fully male and I said to people, hey, would it be okay if you referred to me as they, them? Because for right. the longest period of time before I fully came out as female, I came, I actually started identifying as gender fluid, which is, or non-binary for, um, to simplify it in a way. So I didn't specifically think of myself as male, nor did I see myself as female either. I was sort of like stuck in between and sort of just going all like, hmm, which one do I really feel like? And it took me a long time of just like um, going through that and think to myself, okay, yeah, I like this a lot more. I like this. And then it got to a point where I'm just like, hmm, but I do like being a bit female more. And I'll be quite honest, seeing myself as male doesn't exactly feel all that good. And then it went to, oh, God, I don't like looking looking at myself because of how masculine I look. This is awful. Can I just, like, not see this face anymore? And that's sort of where I finally just got, got to the point where one day I just completely broke down over seeing how masculine I looked. And this is when I had, like, a f nearly, like, five days worth of facial hair growth, which is, like nearly a full beard because my facial hair grows like nothing else and I looked at myself and how masculine my face looked and I just broke down crying and I'm just like god right. damn it I don't like this I do not like this I do not like this right and that was sort of the tipping point wherein I just realized okay I don't like being a male 
So and would that, you say, in a sense, sorry to interrupt you there, but would you yeah. say then, when when we sort of ask the question, I know it's vague of how do you know you're trans, how do you know you're, you're uh, a, a different gender, would you say it's more not who you want to be, but it's it's more who you don't like being at that point in time? Definitely. Like, it's never really a matter, like, you, like, it's equal parts knowing who you want to be, but it's also equal parts knowing what you don't want to be. Because, like, if you don't want to be male yet don't see yourself fully as female, then th then being non-binary is definitely an option. Like, it's like it's like my specialist told me when I first started talking with her about this. Um, gender is never just like um a is neither a or b. You're not just like one or the other. It's a varying spectrum at the end of the day, and I say this a lot because a lot of people seem to think you're either male or female, and Mm. While while they're not technically wrong, the way that it can be seen or per or perceived in in terms of identity is definitely a lot more broader than that. So I definitely say to people, if you feel like you're sort of in between or sort of leaning onto one side but still not quite committed to that, there's definitely a sort of a spectrum for that. So this is why I keep on saying to people, don't be afraid to like think over this type of stuff very carefully because yeah. this is all what you want. At the end of the day, nobody can tell you who you are like in your own mind and what you feel is right by you than yourself. And no matter how much and feel free to just like talk with other people that have gone through this as well. Like there's a lot yeah. of article, there's a lot of articles and a lot of um, places online that help out with a lot of this sort of thing. And I urge like a lot of people that if anybody is listening to this right now, who may feel like they're sort of in that right mind that believes that, Oh, I sort of feel this similar way too. Then guess what? You're on yeah. the right track. And I think that's something that we, we spoke about beforehand, which kind of, can be difficult because they may think sometimes, you know, I don't want to ask someone who's going through this, those questions, because maybe it's too personal or maybe they're going to read. And there are people like that where, you know, when I've worked in retail a few times back when I was younger and someone would come into a shop like that and people kind of freeze and they go, Oh my God, what do I do? Cause you know, they, they don't know what they, they should do. And there's been experiences where they've said maybe the wrong term or the wrong um, thing. And, you know, they flip at them or even if you get it wrong, or even ask them, you know, how do you want to be referred to? And, and they flip again. And that's more on that person's side in terms of that sh they shouldn't behave like that. Because if you want to be educating people about this, teaching people about this, or even, you know, getting people to refer you as the correct term, that's not the way to behave because that's obviously going to make people just not say anything. And then it's going to be people afraid to sort of approach you in the way to talk about, you know, how they, because they don't want to step on any toes and they don't want to, sort of make out that they're almost being discriminatory because you can sort of get caught up in that whole web of it and that's more down to, to the individual who as i did with you you were pretty cool about it i said how do you want to be referred you said this i said great and that was the end of that there wasn't you know well how dare you ask me that that's rude that's just but that's that's what it is people need to ask it as a simple question and then we can all move on with that's how we're going to refer to you. And it's as simple as that. It's not, you know, this big, long, complicated thing of someone being offended because you you ask them that question. That's what people should do. They should be asking them to, you know, how do you just as if, hey, a nickname. How do you want to be called? Well, I'll call you this.
If I can interject a little bit with that, a lot of the people that do, in fact, um, react like that are, as you said, not exactly the best people. Yeah. And even then, they're like a small minority. They're a loud minority compared to the majority that are yeah. actually very are very happy for the fact that people do, in fact, ask, ask them about that because a lot because the idea that oh, being a reactionary to being asked your pronouns is a, is not the normal at all. If anything, that's just another case of stigma being brought about online by a bunch of people that are trying to portray a lot of people in that in the um, trans community as being these overreactionary people that can't handle being asked a simple question. When in reality, a lot of people who are in that community or who more or less identify as on that spectrum are perfectly happy and actually encourage people asking that because it normalizes the idea of asking the pronouns beforehand yeah. and it saves possibly possibly um, using the wrong pronouns accidentally and it saves them a lot of that hassle in the long run. It's only if people know about the pronouns beforehand and then purposefully misuse the pronouns or or straight up don't use them correctly at all on purpose, wherein a lot of the reactionaries do come out. And even then, that's actually very understandable, given that if they're doing it on purpose at that point, they're kind of asking for that. So if we talk about, and, and an interesting uh, story I want to bring in here that actually just popped into my head was, um, I remember reading a story in the news over here in the UK about a, a British trans woman who was granted asylum in New Zealand. I'm not sure if you're from Australia or New Zealand, but you know, Australia. you're from Australia. Um, and, and they were granted asylum in New Zealand because the UK, as she, as she put it, is, is, so, is so transphobic. And we've got a whole lot of situations over here that we need to deal with because, God damn it, there's so much, so much shit that, you know, people want to stick their, their head in the sand. And that's usually the older generation which need to just shut up and stick their head in the sand and be quiet. And that's something that I think we all need to, to, to care about and take seriously and work to tackle sort of whatever way that we can, whether it be, you know, work, school, communities, all those kind of things. And that's kind of interesting that I heard that, that, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that we're, you know, the UK you know, hasn't got it figured out. But in terms of your country of Australia in New Zealand, how would you say compared to sort of our country, they deal with those kind of situations with transgender, the rules, the laws, all that kind of stuff? Um, well, we do have a part of our public health sector that actually is thankfully very um, able to support that type of stuff. And I'll be quite honest, when I was able to go through and talk with a bunch of spe with a specific specialist, the amount of choices I had in my state of Queensland was actually a lot more than I originally thought. Because like, I originally thought that we only had like one specialist in the area. Turns out we have like three spread across the entire the major parts of Brisbane and I'm just like okay cool so at least I have variety and that allow and that allows the idea of being able to have an informed decision on where to go from there because like if there's only one place in the entire area that does that sort of thing no doubt no doubt you've heard from from trans women over there about the long wait times that seem like it could take ages to even get and get a face-to-face -face appointment with these with these specialists to even like start the process along and even then it feels like an eternity going through that um but over here i was able i'll be quite honest i was able to talk of a specialist over the phone because a lot of places are doing telehealth conversations now i mean telehealth consultations with everything going on right now as you no doubt know in the world yeah, we live in at this point in time um 
And from there, she gave me a referral for a blood test in order to get some testing done before I go on before I went onto the hormones. And just upcoming and within two weeks, I went from having that first conversation to getting on the medications. So I would say it's a lot more streamlined over here, but it's also because like with everything, thank God for the fact that we actually do have a functioning healthcare system still, despite how our current our current um, government is trying to Americanize it to such a degree. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I know it's disgusting, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> um, but the point is, I'm compared to Britain and even America. I'll be quite honest; it's a lot more. It's a lot better. It's a lot more streamlined, and it's so much more simpler than having to jump through all of these separate hoops to go through with it. Granted, I was also very lucky going through with it because the specialist that I that I talked to more or less discussed the seven years I had been going through all of this and more or less said, you don't need to go see these specific psychologists in um, that talk about gender specifically, because mm. from what I can tell, you definitely do have dysphoria. Because mm. like, and I definitely feel like had I gone, had I gone to see her like possibly soon, a lot more sooner that yeah. I might have been able to, that I might have had to go through those hoops because I was still questioning a lot about myself at that time. And that's sort of where I feel like it's very situational at the end of the day. Like mine was a lot more streamlined. Mine was a lot more simpler to go through simply because I had been through and gone through a lot of the hoops already by myself. And obviously the experience is definitely going to be a lot different for every, for every other person that goes through with it. But, um, at the end of the day, I could I could safely say that um, the process going through it from here is actually a lot better in the long term. Well, we'll come to that bit in just a moment because one thing I want to sort of talk about before we get into that is, in terms of the process, again, it's going to be different because people listening to it are going to be listening from, especially the the people that listen to this podcast are all over the world. So it's going to be different to whatever your law is in your particular country. But if I talk, for example, about in this country. Um, when you sort of ask the question of, you know, what process do people have to go through to be recognized as trans in daily life? Because that's what sort of people want, or, you know, a different gender. And there's nothing sort of formal or legal in the sense that if you're a, a, a trans man or a woman, your gender is protected in this country anyway, it's under the Equality Act. Uh, you can use like the bathroom that fits your gender. You can expect your employers to recognize you as the gender that you want and then access sort of any public services that are appropriate for your gender, and then there'll be a few exceptions, blah, blah, blah. But one thing I found, there was almost like a particular, uh, a, what's the word I want to use? Almost a, an exception. And that exception is what some people sort of find frustrating, especially with the media debate all the time, is non-binary people through, especially in this country, I don't know about Australia, aren't currently recognized by the law at all, which uh, is, is something that people find wrong and also needs to be changed, which is interesting to a degree. I don't know if that's the same over there, but which kind of leads me to another question. So I won't bombard you with those questions in a second, but I don't know if that's the same with you. Is that the same way you are? Are non-binary sort of people on a separate spectrum in a sense or a separate thing? Um, yes, definitely. Um, they're not necessarily registered or recognized as much as trans people. That's mainly due to the fact that, unfortunately, the um, government sees um, non-binary people as a separate entity entirely. 
which I find personally is a little bit um, bullshit in my opinion, because if you're able to recognize trans people, you should also be able to recognize non-binary people as a part of that spectrum as well, because they're sort of an in-between area between being uh, between the, um, as I mentioned, that spectrum beforehand. Yeah. So what, for people that kind of are sort of, because there's there's, that's probably one of the things that sort of people are sort of confused with. There's, there's quite a lot of different terms for different things that be gender roles and also for sexuality as well. What's the difference between non-binary and cis? Um, the difference between non-binary and cis is um, cis is your, um, your, your assigned gender at birth. So being assigned female at birth or being assigned male at birth, that would be a sent and you continuing to choose to identify yourself as your as your birth gender that would essentially be cis um non-binary is essentially if you don't identify as either male or female and you simply just identify as being sort of in the middle it's not necessarily to say that you don't identify as sex that um in terms of like gender identity you identify yourself as like a morphless gray blob or anything like that it's more just simply like you're not entire you don't necessarily choose to think of yourself as male or female and it's more just like you're yourself as a person and you're not bound by any sort of gender restrictions that have been imposed on you by your body or anything like that okay one of the and and you sort of alluded to this earlier, which again we won't get too personal and we'll sort of sort of just gloss over it essentially. But if people are listening to this and have are going through a situation where they're coming to terms with the whole gender question of themselves, or or maybe they've figured it out, one of the topics that comes up that people sort of get a little bit afraid of is the whole gender reassignment surgery, or sex change operation, whatever you want to sort of set as it does. Do people need to have that? to be i know that's kind of a stupid question because people will be like well of course you do if you want to be a different gender then you're going to do it but there could be people that go i don't want to go through all that because i don't want to go through hormones i don't want to go through gender assignment i don't want to go through all that sort of personal stuff would you say that's something that people need to do it's a personal choice at the end of the day if they choose to do that like yeah unless Unless your government, like I know a lot of places in America, won't legally identify you as your as, as your chosen gender unless you have the gender reassignment surgery. Like, um, if you want to go from male to female, you have to have the full vaginoplasty surgery in order to be fully recognized as female by the government in order to get everything legally changed. But if you're okay with not having that sort of legal identification or if you're not too fussed about having or of having genital dysphoria which is what would be which would be not liking the fact that you have your assigned genitals um and just having like all sorts of negative feelings just about that in general that would essentially be a personal choice at the end of the day if you choose to go through the gender reassignment surgery. I know a lot of like um people at the end of, that are on that are trans women that have not yet gone through it as a personal decision or simply sure. can't that um can't afford to do it at this point in time because that alone is a very expensive surgery to go through, and right. they still full and they still fully identify themselves as being well trans as women. And that hasn't stopped them, despite not going through the surgery as of yet, from identifying that. And those that choose to do so either have their reasoning for doing so or simply just feel like they, they're okay without it. So, like, sure. 
So like a lot of people, so like a lot of people choose not to do it, and that's okay. And people do choose to do it, and that is also perfectly okay as well. So, like I've been alluding to, it's all down to personal choice at the end of the day. So, and again, we won't get into these other you, but just in terms of a general overview, how is that process going for you? Is that is that has that been okay for you? Have you struggled? Has it been okay with your health? Has it not been okay on your health? Well, the reason why they do the blood test in the first place is just to make sure that there aren't any complications with taking the medication. Because because one of the because one of the main proprietary components of one of the medications I'm taking is a blood thinner, which um lowers my um blood. Sh I can't remember if it's blood sugar or blood um blood pressure count. But that but if you have a family history of um any kind of um blood or health related issues relating to blood clots or or heart attacks or anything like that, or right. if you high or if you have high cholesterol, it basically gives you at a higher risk of having those types of complications along the track. So in terms of my health throughout it, um consider the fact I only started on the medication this week. Yeah. Um I haven't really noticed any sort of negative effects coming from it at this point in time, but again, that is yet to be seen. Um, I'm, but from what I can tell, the blood testing um, basically came up with no major issues at when I got it done about a week ago. So I would hope that there aren't any issues going along with it, but um, I guess we'll see where we go from there. Sure. One of the things that I want to get into next, which um, is has always been sort of a hot topic, which again, I, I, to be honest, I don't know why anyone is bothered by any of these kind of things if you're not really a part of it because none of your damn businesses if it were you're asking you know someone who they're attracted people try, sort of try and, and they're two big bottles the, the trans issues and also the sexuality and then when you put those two together you kind of get this whole web of sort of craziness of, of different things so people sort of say well can you be trans and gay can a lesbian have a, a trans woman as a lesbian partner get a gay man be with a trans man and quite frankly that shouldn't even be a topic of discussion because that's just the same as you know, well, if I ask you what your sexual orientation is, you know, that's that's your business, just like it is with anything else. In terms of yourself, what, what would you say your opinion is on something like that? Would you say that sexual orientation, who you're attracted to, is completely unrelated to the sort of the gender identity question? Most definitely. Um, sexual identity and gender identity are two completely separate things. Like, one shouldn't necessarily dictate the other, in my opinion. Granted, there have been a lot of people that went from being straight, um, that went from being straight to, um, just slowly transitioning themselves to being, um, lesbians or, um, bisexuals as they were transitioning along but that's mainly because they started to realize a lot more things about themselves during the transitional process and not necessarily because of the transition process so i would definitely agree with the idea that it is a completely separate thing that needs that should be looked at as two separate things and not just like oh gender identity and sexual identity are the same thing and they should be looked at as such and that's just ignorant in my opinion when we talk about these issues as a whole, when we're talking about, you know, when I use the terms trans, when I use the terms gay and all this kind of stuff, we're talking about, well, there's no, is, there's no difference between sexual orientation and, and these trans issues. And I always say this in the news when maybe it's our generation sort of adapting and changing. And we're kind of one of the big generations that go through the biggest changes that we're all going through with these, hence why the older generation don't get it. But when I hear someone says on the news, so-and-so came out, so-and-so is gay, so-and-so is lesbian. And I think, why is that a topic? Why is that a, a a a big you know a surprise? Why is that almost like a 
I know people celebrate, which is a good thing, but I mean, what I'm, what I'm sort of coming across as, we see the, um, for some celebrities, of course, the PR stunt for, for some of them that want to get it out there. But when we talk about all these things, which when we talk about, well, how can you be a trans woman and like a girl? Doesn't that make you gay? How have you do this and you do this and do this? Do you think why we have all these questions and all these things that get muddled up is because we have labels? Should we just get rid of labels in general? And that would make everything easier. Honestly, I'm sort of yes and no about it. I say yes mainly because of the fact that um, if you take away a lot of the labels regarding a lot of these things, it would make it a lot easier and a lot less stressful to be all like, oh, this person came out or this person's doing this. And it would essentially just alleviate this sort of idea that like it's a major news topic that this person is doing this now and like this changes them entirely or this should change how the public perceives them. But at the yeah. same time, I feel like this is sort of a good thing because like it helps sort of just like bring a sense of unity to the community at large that sort of does sort of pry itself away at points from a lot from the from heteronormative and and cisgender communities. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It sort of just gives that sort of sense of community and a sort of like safe space to be able to talk about these types of things because like i i say that i say this next bit knowing that i'm a trans woman like talking about this to um a hetero cis male at this point but um yeah. sorry but um it just sort of makes it a lot easier to talk about these types of things in a community where a lot of the same people have gone through or are experiencing at the same time the exact same things. And it's a lot easier to just sort of gain support and gain a lot more knowledge about this type of subject. So on one hand, I'm for getting rid of the labels because it makes it a lot easier for people to just not make it so much of a hot button topic of discussion. Mm. But at the same time, taking away those labels just or rather keeping those labels essentially helps really just bring a sense of community to a group of people that have not really had that much of a sense of unity up until they find out more about themselves. I see your point about, you know, keeping it together in, in terms and that makes sense. I guess I look at it as when people, it's always, when we think about all the arguments and debates and stuff, it always comes back to labels, regardless if you're educated on it or not. And I just think if we got rid of the labels, then that way it's just I'm a girl that likes a girl, I'm a girl that likes both, I'm a boy that likes both, then it's not it's not sort of uh, a taboo subject because then we're, we're leaving it, because then in a sense, I'm gonna get real deep on this, you, if we get rid of the labels, then people then have arguments about the labels contradicting the labels because of who's what, and it, it kind of, it gets so complicated that actually, surely that would make that simple in just someone just being someone and liking someone rather than just, well, he's pansexual, he's this sexual, and I think, but then we're, we're labeling it again. Why can't it just be, I like who I like and that's it. There's no mm. issues, if you see what I mean. Hmm. I definitely do see what you're, what you're coming with in that. Well, the, the, the sort of story I want to come across to you now, which um, is quite an interesting one in terms of what we're talking about. I was yeah. um, uh, watching a TV program. My girlfriend's into sort of a lot of that uh, reality nonsense and um, on MTV. And there was, a, there was a, a program that I found on there which was called True Life Crime. I don't know if you checked this out on there. Um, it's basically mm -hmm. about uh, the guy in Eve Shulman who does the catfish programs where it sort of has all the, the social media catfish. And it's sort of a new TV show where it basically deals with people who have been um, in, in, involved in sort of um, 
murders, sort of uh, particular um, situations that have gone through sort of a killing or a murder, but it's, it's been involved with social media and social media has helped um, helping get rid of um, maybe the, the cases going away or bringing more attention to it. And there's a particular situation that I think works for what we're talking about. So that's uh, a guy named Kadari Johnson, and he was going through uh, a, a sort of transition where he was going into a girl. And basically the story goes, long story short, um, they believed that Kadari was uh, basically seeing a guy and the guy was having a relationship with him and then basically because the guy was in sort of the wrong crew as it were they basically went and killed Kadari um through you know the, the viciousness of whatever it is and what that kind of led to was everyone was saying now why these guys do it and at this point in the investigation they're sort of wondering why that was and then they sort of had to go to the friends to say well actually you know it was the basically the, the, the bird is really, really weird it, it's something that they get into the car with these two guys and then they basically kill her and, and whatever but the, the point of the matter is what ended up happening was they basically went to court they got judged um, sentenced and one of the things that came out of it was what potentially was happening was the guy the one of the guys of the friends was in a relationship or was seeing kadari johnson and it got to that point where it was almost a shameful thing that got to that point that 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 guy went and and did what he did to that girl so the question pumps up why are whether you want to label it heterosexual whatever why are people afraid to be with trans people why are people afraid to almost why is there a stigma around being with someone who is trans or identifies himself as a different gender I feel like the idea behind that sort of stigma and the negative sense of that stigma definitely co does come from the idea that of the decades old idea that, oh, if you're dating this person, that's actually biologically this person. That means you're gay or yeah. something like that. Or it or it could go the exact reverse. Oh, you're dating this person. That's actually the reverse gender of of who you are so you're in a straight relationship and there's this whole mixed signal idea that by dating this one particular person that is of that community you're basically as a heterosexual just sort of like putting yourself in the line of fire for a lot of different people to come out of the woodwork and basically mock you for that and personally speaking i've had a lot of instances wherein I've seen people who have been in those relationships and they've ended terribly because one person isn't able to handle the pressure in a sense of going through that type of relationship. They still mm. remain friends afterwards, but the relation, but the friendship is strained because like the person who is on that spectrum feels like they can't trust this person as much anymore. Yeah. And it's unfortunate given the circumstances, but that's sort of the stigma at the end of the day where it comes into play as that society as a whole, despite how much we have changed over the last like decades or so from, from the Stonewall era to where we are right now, we still have a bunch of people who are still to this day continuing the idea that, oh, you're actually gay or, oh, you're yeah. in a straight relationship. And it's totally just complete bullshit, in my opinion, that we're still having this sort of argument or this kind of conversation happening to this day because of that. Yeah. Well, we've sort of got into the, the nitty gritty of some of the issues, but we're going to bring it back to you. So we, we, we've sort of we. Um, we talked about sort of you feeling the way that you felt, wanting to change. And when, I mean, again, when you, 
it, when I was talking about you don't make decisions overnight, you make decisions over a certain amount of time. Can you remember the time you thought, right, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to become. And today is the, day, the first day of, of the rest of my life, as it were. This is now where I, where I change. It actually sort of happened only a few months ago. Like, um, I'll be quite honest. Um, w beginning of the year, I started to actually think a lot more seriously about it. And to the point wherein I started having conversations with my fiance, Cass, who is um, a trans woman who has now been into the process for three years herself. Oh, right. And after a very long conversation, this was actually the same day where I actually had that full breakdown over seeing how I looked in the mirror and just sure. crying my goddamn eyes out over it and just not feeling happy about it at all. And I had a long talk with her and I pretty much talked with her about everything I had been feeling and, cause, and everything that we had talked about in the past. And she just said, "Hun, I think you may have the answer staring right in front of you. And it took a little bit for me to actually fully, like, accept that. And I said to myself, right, okay, next time I come and visit you, which was going to be happening a month, any, a, a month after that conversation anyway, I'm going to try this out, going to be trying to see how I go about as being presenting and using those pronouns to see how I properly feel about it. And the first moment that everyone referred to me as Chloe and referred to me as she, her, yeah, I just felt so overwhelmed by all of that because, like, it's felt so natural hearing that. It felt so much more natural than being called he, him, or being called Brad or anything like that. And I'll be quite honest, it felt like that was my name all along, and nobody had told had really told me that until now. And it was so overwhelming to the point where I feel like on the first day I already knew my answer. I had that answer staring. It was, it was like she said, I had the answer staring right in front of me, and I just had to come to terms with that on my own terms. And it it feels weird. It was only just recently that I finally had that sort of decision in a way. But, like, it's just everyone's story is all so different. So, like, you're probably not going to get, like, oh, I've been, I had this decision, like, five years ago. I had that realization yesterday. Yeah. I had this realization when I was a little kid. And, like... The story is always different, but it's always ends up the same. Like when you finally have that realization and when you finally realize, yes, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. It just sort of clicks and you sort of just feel so overwhelmed by it all. That's just like, oh, my God, this is actually happening. Well, that's kind of a good thing that you you have your partner who's kind of going through the same thing because you're kind of able to help each other out and they're able to help you out as well, which is, is a great thing. It, it's it's difficult sometimes to have sort of someone going through that with maybe a cis person because they can help you, but they don't truly understand what you're going through. So it kind of makes it difficult to try and uh, sort of explain yourself. And then that can sort of bring rifts in your relationship and kind of go with that. So that's kind of a, a good benefit. Would you sort of attribute to the, the sort of the process you're going through and also this kind of journey that you're going through that she or um, they're very, very helpful in sort of uh, well, through this whole process, being able to help you. Definitely. Like, um, I honestly feel like I wouldn't have been able to come to most of the answers that I've come to over the last seven years without her help. And um, I say that with absolutely with absolute full clarity. As much as I feel like I've had a lot of people that have been able to support and help me out in terms of coming to terms with a lot of these things, having someone like my have like my fiance at this point being able to almost daily be able to talk about this type of stuff and just be full on honest with, it's just been so much more easier to just like be 
open and honest about this, especially with someone who's gone through those same feelings herself and knows exactly how it feels. So when I initially first told her about how I was feeling, she's just like, "Hun, I know exactly how you're feeling because I've been there myself. Well, that's always a great thing. Before we sort of wrap up sort of and going into sort of the reaction from people, sort of when you sort of tell everybody how how you feel. And before we before we do that, I want to do a quick sidebar. And one of the things that I sort of researched up, which kind of brought a memory back to me, I'm a big fan of uh, sort of various documentaries by various different documentary makers. And one of my favorites is a, a, a guy by Louis Theroux, great guy, does, uh, does sort of documentaries, mostly sort of covering American issues, but also uh, British issues. I think he went to America for one of these. One of the situations he was de- dealing with was, was the sort of transgender issues. But one of the things that he was um, dealing with was he was he was he had a young child. Uh, who was sort of going through that process of going from a guy to a girl. And I want to say he was maybe seven or eight. And they were talking to with the parents and the whole sort of um, episode was about different types of people that he'd gone to, two or three, but the, the child was going through the um, the transition. And hmm. the topics that he was bringing up was, it was a difficult thing because what do the parents do? Do the parents say, no, you're too young to figure that out? Or do they do they accept it and then he, they may regret it later in life or do they they not let them do it and then they resent them later in life? So that begs the question, is there an age you should and shouldn't change or is, you know, how, how do you deal with, because that is quite a tricky situation because you, you kind of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't with that and you'll get a backlash either way. And in a sense, well, I mean, the first question is, you know, is there an age? But also the, the second part is, how do you do, I guess, with a, with a child that at that young age wants that? I feel like, in all honesty, there is no real set age where you shouldn't be able to make that de- informed decision, make that decision for yourself. Like, I definitely do say that, like, at the, at the end of it all, you should be able to have an informed decision about this type of thing, but it should never be like, oh, you're never allowed to have be able to make this decision early on, or you're never allowed to be able to make this decision when you're younger. I feel yeah. like, in all honesty, the younger that you are able to explore this type of thing with a, with a supportive, like, um, community around you, even from, like, a family life or being able to explore that type of thing just with how you feel because like in the developmental years a lot of things can definitely just um help out and i feel like even though a lot this may be a bit of a controversial idea to have but starting out younger in terms of like being able to explore gender identity would definitely benefit a lot of kids nowadays from being able to feel awkward about it later on because like it saves like a lot of a lot of teenagers from having to go through this awkward period where they're just like oh i don't feel comfortable i don't like it and they're constantly just wondering why and that just sort of leads to the ongoing idea of dysphoria throughout their lives and that's sort of just where i feel like a lot of where the issues sort of lie in terms of identity because you spend years just sort of thinking to yourself oh should i really feel this way is it okay to and the answer is always yes but the sad thing about it is a lot of the people and i know this from my own personal experience who go through those sort of mindsets don't exactly have the most healthiest um support from their own family in a sense that definitely sort of not necessarily are supportive about the idea of of non-normal identities in in that sense 
what would you say if someone like a parent turned around though and said, hey, you know, kid, you're, you're too young. You can't, you, you, you're not old enough to make these decisions. When you turn 18, then you're, then that's when you should make the decision. I feel, I would personally say that's a bit unfair to how these younger people, these people younger than 18 are feeling, because that would be denying their feelings as just like a phase or simply as something that is, is just not what they would love. I guess what, I guess at the end of the day, it's just, it's just the idea of it being um, not necessarily, um, it's downplaying how they're feeling and it's sort of just gaslighting them as not being able to make their own decisions, when in reality, they are definitely able to make their own decisions, even if they're not seen as normal by society at large. And I definitely do agree with the idea that even if they are within their younger formative years or even in their early teenage stages, you, if they are genuinely feeling that way, and it is definitely, if it is with informed feelings from their own side and with how a lot of others are going through it as well, then yes. So long as they are informed about this, they are they have a they have an absolute right to be able to feel this way. So we get towards sort of why well, I say the end, but there's never really an end to your story because you're always learning, you're always gonna go through that process. When you decided to tell people this is what you're gonna do, this is how you're feeling, and you sort of articulate to everybody, what was the reaction from your friends, maybe guys in the VW, uh, your parents, what was kind of the, the reception? Was it all positive? Did you get a little bit negative or some difficult sort of things? Well, I'll go in order of where I essentially went through at given all of that um i first initially came out to a small group of friends that sort of really helped me along the way in terms of just um helping out with that identity and they were just like congrats on finally just like being able to say this because we've been waiting on this for a while and then immediately after that the first people i came out to after that were both at the same time the people in virtual wrestling united and car all stars at the same time okay and this and the support between both of them was incredible like i was expecting a lot of people to be a bit hesitant about it mm -hmm. which granted the various amounts of people that are in there that are in both camps and i was fully expecting them to be all like huh that's okay but but you do you but yeah. what I got instead was both camps essentially just coming out of the woodwork and just like saying, no matter what, we're going to support you. You are still a you are still supported in our eyes. And if anybody says otherwise, or if anyone tries to hurt you over this, we will be on your side no matter what. And I'm not going to lie, the night I told both of those camps about how about that, I fucking cried all over again because like I did not expect that amount of support from that group. Granted, I've known a lot of these people for nearly for about like a decade of my life at this point and even some that are over that at this point and even so i consider both camps like sort of a family in my sense and the amount of support i got from both of them was just completely out of completely out of the blue for me because like i was expecting it to be completely different than what i got and what i got was completely exceeded all my expectations for the pause for any positive reception i was thinking about getting well, that is and, uh sorry go on yeah um yeah um then i told my family because um i figured they would need to know before i went public about it and well it wasn't bad but it wasn't necessarily good either like they right. did 
they were definitely on the they were definitely sort of on the fence about it all. They were essentially just like it'll take us a little bit of time to get used to because you are well a member of the family and whatnot. We've known you literally your entire life, but they didn't necessarily reject me. The okay. worst person that took it the most was my dad, who after I had pretty much told about told the family about it because we were doing a voice they would we were doing a video chat at the time he he just sort of just said okay well i think i'm gonna have to leave now and wow i'll be quite honest i have not spoken with him that much since and part of me feels like he may need a lot more time to get to get adjusted to it but part of me feels like he's because he's a lot more old-fashioned he's nearing his mid-50s at this point so he grew up in around about the 60s era so this is all stuff that he's not necessarily accustomed to especially with the shock of having one of his own offspring sort of just pull this out of nowhere in his own eyes and he's just like okay so um, i have to get used to this now but part of me does hope that he does sort of come around to it eventually but if he doesn't that's on him. I don't necessarily feel that much upset about it, but okay. I won't. But I won't necessarily be depressed over it if it come, if it gets to a point where he doesn't see me as like his um offspring anymore. Should that happen, I'm accepting of that, and I'm fully going to be okay with that. Should that happen, if the worst case scenario does happen, but I want to have faith that he will come around eventually. It's a crazy thing, isn't it, when you when you sort of see the, the older generation, the way that they react to, to stuff like that, because, you know, for what you just said, and I think when you, you when you get offended, when you when it bothers you and I, it's different from parents, because, of course, you know, to, to them, you know, you're you're their little boy and, you know, yeah, they're going to change. But that's, you know, you're, you're a grown ass person to be able to to do that. And I always find it, you know, baffling when you see these groups who are trying to, you know, anti this and anti that and you see, you know, people trying to push their opinion on everybody else and regardless of whether they're bad or whatever sort of debate you've come on to it i just think who effing cares it's not your body it's none of your damn business you do you and you know everybody else can do them they go their way you'll go away and I, maybe it's, it's a generational thing and, and that's kind of what you know our generations have to try and get the old generation to, to try and understand but regardless it's more of just a case of who cares they are who they are you are who you are. Does it bother you? No, they're not asking you to change. They may be asking you to change your mindset, but then that just says how acceptable you are to change, which if that's no, then that's something you need to work on. I find it baffling that that is something that people don't really fully get on board with. And it's that's that's kind of our, our big generational sort of fight that we have with, with each other. And that's, that's kind of a, a sad thing, but I'm hoping that the people that are susceptible hopefully are are able to support you in that time and also the great to the people that are able to support you in that and that's probably because you know it's, it's a generational thing as well but uh, that's a great thing i appreciate you sharing all that with me we're sort of coming to the end of that kind of conversation we're going to be going on back to some old caw but i really appreciate you being able to be open and to share that i really appreciate that that's a, a great thing that we we're able to discuss there and, uh, and when it comes to that whole situation I, I wish you the best and hope that everything goes well in terms of your health and also just the way that the, that the process works for you thank you for that that actually does mean a lot here in that jamco like um he is hoping that like i can look at this sort of down the line and i can sort of just be all like oh wow this is just like really awesome just talking about all this type of stuff and i hope that if any of those any people that are on that spectrum are listening to this right now they're sort of 
even if they haven't fully realized it yet or fully come out about this, this sort of just does sort of help them along the way in terms of knowing a little bit more about themselves and just sort of feel like, hey, it's okay to feel this sort of way and you're not strange at all for feeling like how you do it all. If anything, it's very natural to think about this type of stuff and don't ever make, don't let anyone else ever make you feel like you're inadequate or you're wrong for ever feeling like this type of thing because... And that's sort of just like the mental trappings that like that at the end of the day, they sort of just try and bring upon you to just sort of like keep down that sort of mental that mentality. But like if you really do feel that way, definitely do research on it. Definitely do sort of look within yourself and see how you feel about it, because at the end of the day, it's your call as to where you want to go with this sort of thing. No one else can make that decision but you. And I think the great thing about this this journey that you're going through is regardless of when you get those times where you're feeling maybe down or whether you can finish off this process or maybe no one understands you I think the best thing to think of is especially why this podcast is so great because when you fully get to that point where you're 100% comfortable with yourself you've gotten all the things that you need and you've gotten to the point where you want to be in your life you then come out the other side and then you actually almost become an ambassador in the sense that now you can help people who are going through that exact issue and know every single thing that you're talking about that works for it so really that's that's something where you almost become the the student but then you become the the teacher when it comes to this kind of stuff so you you're going to be uh and on a on a sort of point where you're able to sort of share with everybody else your experience then help people out so you kind of become from one thing up to, to the other so i think that's a that's a good thing hmm. now as we roll down that old conversation the great conversation we uh we still have a lot to get through here so as we just had that long conversation uh about all those issues in terms of the situations including yourself we're going to be heading on back to the old conversation of pro wrestling and one of the uh i had a guest on the podcast quite a while ago which was brendan stewart he was of course from australia as well and i was talking to him about uh, professional wrestling in australia and i said it's a very unique market because i kind of feel like like you, you hear of course about the japanese market mexican market and then the europe market of course for its own sort of uniqueness and then uh sort of a, sort of a little bit it's kind of different um, markets that are there but they don't sort of get exposed sort of talking about uh, eastern europe south africa um a little bit of south america and then the sort of australasia sort of area is almost something that doesn't really get talked about but it it seems to be i know people are going to say well this person went to the wwe and all that stuff and i'm like yeah that's great but when you look at the history of professional wrestling in australia it seems to be more north american groups or north american um, products doing tours of australia but not really a lot of sort of i mean maybe that's just my ignorance in terms of people having sort of those and i know there's a lot of uh wrestlers and there's also a lot of um shows that are, are sort of start up in australia independence as it were and sort of set those sort of particular stereotypes i mean in front of me i've got all like the foreign tours that people have done where of course wwe do their thing wcw did one and then um, new japan did one last year i remember with um, their southern showdown and stuff like that what do you think is why would you say there's no i mean again maybe it's my ignorance and i'm just being stupid but why is there no sort of promotional promotions that are sort of on a larger scale in terms of australia that's mainly due to the fact that 
I'll be quite honest. I'm looking. I've actually got a list of a bunch of the places that um, currently run all across Australia. Some even do like state only areas and whatnot. And it's for the simple fact that they're that they're very basic sort of leagues or companies wherein they don't necessarily have that much like broader appeal compared to like bigger name places like like you said new japan and wwe and whatnot like they're more or less just sort of like trading and breeding grounds and whatnot for people to like hone their craft and whatnot and then and then if they choose to like make this sort of their own little thing they can easily like take off from there so it's not necessarily so much of a big market down here as it is to other places like Japan or the UK or, of course, the US. Well, I can see sort of uh, you know promotions that I've sort of well, checking out like Explosive Pro, Impact Pro, Melbourne. Got I got heat for say Melbourne, by the way, or Melbourne, but hey, <laughs> right? It's okay. World Series those kind of ones as well. And it kind of, I mean, I would usually say, oh, this is kind of like England in the sense that smaller independent promotions sort of come in through the ranks to um, to to sort of just keep independence, keep sort of smaller end, and that's kind of what supports it. There's no sort of major thing. But then WWE came here and fucked it all up, so I mean, that's a whole separate thing, but that's that. Do, do you ever check out any local wrestling where you are is there anything that stands out is there any sort of independence that because I, I know when i looked through it the most sort of thing that was coming out of it was um sort of guys like sort of marcus pitt was one mikey nicole's who of course went to wwe and then uh came back and, and did all that stuff as well there seems to be kind of that those kind of groups those names who are kind of up to a point but there's no one who is sort of reaching through the ceiling as it were Hmm. Um, I'll be quite honest. Um, this has everything really to do with um, the fact that I'll be quite honest. I've only seen a couple of the local shows by um, because I'm because I'm in Queensland. I've only seen a couple of the shows done by um Impact Pro Wrestling Australia, which is um yeah. actually um connected closely to Impact Pro Wrestling, which operates out of New Zealand. And they yeah. and Impact Pro Wrestling in general has gotten some talent like um, B Priestley and uh, Dakota Kai from that were part of their roster uh, along yes. the way. So they sort of had a little bit of experience going from there. But compared to all the other places that people like B Priestley and Dakota Kai have been to, you don't really hear Impact Pro Wrestling being brought up. And yeah, yeah, I can really I can sort of understand as to why that would be the case. Because compared to a lot of the other places that they've been to, like um, Defiant and, of course, NXT and all these other places, that when you look at their history, it's more just a footnote of where they've been rather than just being all like, oh, this is where they started out. This is where they honed their craft. And it's never really been like that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're actually names that I, I didn't really think of with uh, talking about some of the from people from down there. But the only sort of things that came right away was when Will Ospreay was going down to Australia and being a part of some of the smaller independents. And sort of that's kind of when some of them went on uh, my radar. And then it made me laugh that I saw a, a wrestler who was called Vinny Dunn, the one Vinny Dunn. And he was a Wang Wanga Para Rower Wanga Oh fuck it, I fucked it up. Like Wanga Paproa. Wanga Peril. Wanga Peril. Did I say that right? Wanga Peril. 
Wang Bei. Oh fuck it! I'm not gonna keep doing this. I'm, I think I'm just, I think I'm just shooting sort of the whole of Australia. But I apologise. Oh, we'll That's we'll, okay. We'll just call it Wang, the Wang Peninsula in uh, suburban area of Auckland, New Zealand. So that was that kind of was was interesting there. So really, for you, as I sort of asked Brendan because of because sort of being low, how did you find pro wrestling when you were a kid? Was it the American stuff or was it actually local stuff? Um, this is actually a very funny story because it because to shorten to the point, yes, it was the American stuff I got into, but um, I got into it without realizing I had gotten into it initially because one of my cousins, when I was about like six or seven years old, came over with because we were having like a big family get together and he had brought like a VHS of I think it was a best of Stone Cold Steve Austin VHS and he just Ooh. popped it in because he was a big wrestling fan when when we were like um, little kids and whatnot. He was about like four years older than me, so he was obviously the target market for it at the time. So he just popped it on and and I didn't really pay that much attention to it. But from what I saw, it sort of it burns into it burned into my mind the image of that being what pro wrestling was. And I remember the image in my mind that stuck out the most to six-year-old me was the was on that VHS was Stone Cold winning King of the Ring '96 and the promo that he gave afterwards, and I just thought that was so cool. Yeah. But I never really got into it afterwards. And funnily enough, we also played SmackDown Two Know Your Role on PS One. Oh, I still got what, that. Yeah, while he was visiting, we actually played that, and I had no idea who these people were, but I just thought to myself, man, this is, like, kind of fun. And flash forward, like, about four to five years later, and I'm just browsing through, like, um, the cable television package that we had, that we only recently got, and I'd flick onto um, the Fox channel that we had at the time, and it was airing the last, like, ten minutes of, of WWE SmackDown. This is in um, 2006, and I remember distinctly it being the go-home show before Survivor Series 2006, and it was the segment with the um, contract signing between Batista and um, King Booker for their match, wherein if Batista lost, he could never challenge for the title again. And I just remember tuning into that specific moment and thinking to myself, wait, what's going on here? So... I waited for the replay to to watch the entire show, and my mind was just blown as to what was going on here. I was just thinking to myself, "Whoa, what is this?" One of the uh, the biggest sort of well, I guess I don't know what you want to say, but it is debatable. One of the biggest sort of tours that I found when it came to my research on Australia was the Hulkamania, "Let the Battle Begin," which was the event that Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan um, promoted around Australia. Did you ever go to that? Uh, no, I was still like, um, 12 years old at the time, and this was on the mainland, and I was living in, um, Tasmania, that little, um, isle that little island that you see at the bottom of Australia. Oh, so do you live and, on the island? Yeah, cool. I li I lived there, I moved out of Tasmania, um, in, two in 2017, that's okay. sort of where I have officially moved out of my parents' place, I moved, like, three states over, and I... I've moved um, three states and a little thing of water across in order to um, move out. But um, the whole thing behind that was essentially um, that I 
honestly, because it was being broadcast on the mainland, I well, for one, you can't a twelve year old can't easily convince their parents to to jump like um to put like so much money into tickets in order to go see it, and then on top of that, put money into plane tickets in order to go to this as well, and a hotel room as well. Right, right, right. So sure. doing that type of thing, unless it was for like a thing that the entire family would be interested in, was never going to fly. So. so- in a, in a yep. kind of weird, uh, I'm always fascinated, I know you're not like, you know, a complete island away from civilization, but I always find people sort of, who are on those particular islands, I find it quite fascinating, because it's it's interesting that you're you're sort of away from sort of the hustle and bustle, as it were, of main countries, but then you've kind of got your own little sort of place, your own sort of unique, what would you say life was like living in Tasmania? Um, it's very small, like, um, the, one of the big reasons as to why I moved out was because unless you're into agriculture or you're really into farming, you're never really going to find your calling in Tasmania. Like, it's more or less a um, a big retirement home, in a sense, for those who kind of want to have a more simpler life or not really worry about ha- living in a big city or li- anything like that. Because... It's very small. Like, you could drive from one end of the state down to the other end of the state in just four hours, and that's it. That's about how... That's how small it is. It's not even right. that hard to to find your way around, like, most of the time. So, it definitely feels a lot more enclosed, and it feels a lot more quieter, in a sense. Yeah. And that's, not, and that's never necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time... It's, it definitely wasn't something that I could really live in for the longest period of time because I felt so isolated in a state like, in a place like that. So looking at sort of the sort of island and, and things like that, I, I'm guessing because you're sort of away from mainland, does sort of the the cost of produce is that is that a lot higher because it has to be sort of brought in by by plane by boat? Um, no. Let's say Maine, Australia, for example, compared to that. Yeah. Um. No. In all honesty, um, the amount of imports that came in from mainland Australia were very small because, like I said, Tasmania had a, has a lot of agriculture market around it. Like, 50% of the market in, Austra- in um, Tasmania definitely comes from agriculture. So because of that, there's a lot of produce being made because of that. And one of the biggest exports for that is apple-related products because the nickname for Tasmania is actually the Apple Isle. Right, okay. When we look at sort of New Zealand and Australia in terms of sort of similar sort of places, you ever been to New Zealand? Um, no, but it's definitely a place I'm gonna. I definitely need to chuck off my bucket list at some point because it is totally worth it. Like not even just for going to see the touristy stuff, like oh, going to see the uh, place where they made um the Lord of the Rings movies, or getting to see all these other places, like or experience the culture of New Zealand. It's also just in general getting to see the last part of the um the one of the last parts of the um Australia of the um, Australasia region that isn't just like places like uh, that stretches outwards to other places like Japan and all that which is another place I need to visit at some point because I am an absolute nerd when it comes to Japan related stuff well uh, I actually am forgetting that we're doing a podcast because I'm just kind of searching up your uh, your hometown pretty much on uh, on Google Maps and I need to stop that because I'm getting the camera anyway <laughs> whatever we're talking about uh, yes so that why I bring up that event actually was it was kind of a really weird uh, sort of 
there was, there was four nights in different areas. Did you ever catch it on TV or DVD or whatever? Um, could you just repeat that? It just cut there a little bit. Sorry. The 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 Hulkamania event that came sort of Australia it was four different nights. Did oh, you? Yes. Did you um, check it out on TV or DVD or whatever? Um, I caught it as a rental DVD at one point and watching it, I don't feel bad for having um, just missed out on it, to be honest, when I was when I was older, because I watched it like several years down the line and I'm just thinking to myself, oh, may as well see this to see how it was. And I was just like, oh, no, this is just like all kinds of just like not that good. Well, since it's one of your favorites, uh, pay-per-view, we're going to run down the card. So let's do it right now. We have night one in <laughs> Melbourne. We have uh, Nick Dinsmore, which was Eugene. The pimp, yeah. the pimp father, with an A, which was uh, old godfather, Charles Wright, defeated the Rock of Love, Billy Blade and Caden Anthony. Chloe, what's your favorite Rock of Love match? <laughs> Who on the Rock of Love? I don't know. You're meant to tell me. I don't know. Maybe they're just some like local talent, relate possibly like from Melbourne or something like that. But like, I can't tell you because like, I'll be quite honest. A lot of the names that are on this list, and I am now looking at this just because well, we are actually finding out that uh, he, one of the guys in it was Billy Blade, who is uh, yeah, pretty much he's a local talent, but he was the uh, founder of Vendetta Pro Wrestling. Ooh. And the predecessor California Wrestling Alliance. So yeah, he's kind of done, done all that stuff, but um, got some ties to America, which is far. It's not about Caden Anthony, but never mind. We then have, this is, I'm going to be honest, this is the weirdest cars I've ever seen. Yeah, Who, like I'm this? looking, I'm looking at all this over again, and I'm just getting reminded of those shows that, that IWA and I Generation Wrestling did back in the day, like at the turn of the millennium, where you had all of these like other companies that were coming to Australia for these like one night things, just recycling the exact same card from like stars from like back in the day and trying to like appease to this crowd that only knows about these stars in a way and i'm looking at this and i'm just thinking man you could you you put brutus briefcake against heidenreich well, that was people? that was what i was about to run down this week we got brutus beefcake versus heidenreich in a uh, single we then got spartan 3000 who was actually matt cross who's on the independence now defeated hmm. shannon moore We've got the Nasty Boys defeated the Vampire Warrior, who was Gangrel, and Black yeah. Pearl, who I had to do a bit of research on that. Black Pearl was Yokozuna. Oof. And Oof. then Mr. Anderson versus Sean Morley, who was Valdinus. Brian Because for a lot of these names, they don't have the copyrights for a lot of them, yeah, so of yeah, course yeah. they have to come up with some very generic-sounding names. You got Mr. Anderson. Oh, I just tell that. Never mind. Brian yeah. Christopher, who of course was uh, Grandmaster Sexay. Kishi, who is Rikishi. Rikishi. Feed Orlando Jordan and Osu Fatu's Umaga, which that doesn't seem too bad, that one. Yeah. And then the main event that everybody came to see, which well, I don't know why everyone. I, I don't really see this ever as a dream match. Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Of course, Hogan's going over, brother. I mean, of course, you're gonna get, you're gonna get over, you're gonna I'm get just, me over, you're gonna I'm make just, me look strong. In fact, they have that main event on all four nights, and Hogan goes over on every single one of them. 
And, like, you say this isn't a dream match, but, like, two decades ago when this event took place, two decades ago, it would be the absolute biggest dream match in the world. But, but... Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in 2009 doing the same match night after night. I don't know who paid money to see geriatric Hulk Hogan and recently retired Ric Flair in 2009 go at it like it's freaking the 80s all over again. But I am so sorry you did not get your money's worth in 2009. Well, I guess I see it as... Because it's kind of the same with like Austin Hogan. With this Ric Flair Hogan, I see Hogan who's a showman. And I see Ric Flair is very technical, and I just feel it's two styles that just won't mesh at all. Hmm. But I, I haven't seen it, so I couldn't tell you. Night two in Perth, we got Brian Christopher again, and Kishi defeated the old Rock of Love once again, uh, oh. Chloe's favorite tag team. <laughs> Shannon Moore defeated at Spartan 3000, so we're, we're basically doing like kind of switcheroos. But then we have a, a new. We've got Big Daddy Roro, who was Rosie, and he defeats Sean Moyley and the Pimp Father. We then have Pearl, Black Pearl, who was Yokozuna, Heidenreich, and Vampire Warrior Grand Grail defeating the Nasty Boys and Nick Dinsmore. We then have Orlando Jordan defeating Mr. Anderson. They would go on to have a lot of matches in Impact a few years later. We then have Osu Fatu Umaga defeating Brutus Beefcake. And then we have another Hogan Flair match, but Hogan is accompanied by Jimmy Hart, which makes sense because he's actually his like, manager in real life and does all the deals. But Lacey yep. Von Eric is with Ric Flair. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily... Sense. I don't get that. Like, I get that they couldn't necessarily ha have, like, um Charlotte come out as his valet at that, at that point because, um, well, I don't really think that she was like of wait i have to go back on this how old is charlotte now oh, i don't bloody know i couldn't even tell you because oh god now i'm having to okay so um she's 34 so um she would have been like 23 at the time so you could have easily got away with it at that time just having Lacey von eric at the side goes back to my point about just having valets for the sake of having valets it makes no sense well, I'm not going to go with the next two nights because it's basically everyone facing each other in tag team matches and eight-man tag team matches and singles matches. But one thing I do have to put up is on night four, Shannon Moore defeats Spartan 3000 in a ladder match for $25,000. Chloe, what would uh, Shannon Moore do with $25,000? Hmm. Possibly just spend it all on hair gel just to keep that keep that awesome mohawk at, at it as it was because as we all know shannon moore's shannon moore's mohawk is the godliest mohawk in the universe like you could see that shit from space it's like a national monument except shannon moore is walking around with it every single day or he just did it on cocaine i mean that too that too Anyway, I'm gonna go. We're going off topic here. Let's let's bring it back to all uh, all CAW. But by the way, I, I wouldn't recommend you watch it. It's... Then then it again, is... I haven't watched it, so I can't really say. So I might be wrong. It is it. not good. Even with it's not even good to riff on. It's not even that good. Like um, the superstars of wrestling show from like the late '90s. It's not even that good to riff on. Like it's just sad. It's pathetic, and it's really just not that good of a ride throughout. So like. 
don't watch it even as a joke. Don't even do it as a drinking game. Like, spend, like, your time watching something else of, like, actual substance. Like, I don't know, iGeneration's wrestling show from, like, early 2000. Well, before I go off, I do want to mention uh, a couple things, because I know that people want to know about Hulkamania, Let the Battle Begin. Um, Lacey Von Erich won a bikini contest, which also included Koa Marie Turner, Stephanie Peetz, and Kiara Dillon. And there was talk of another tour in China and other parts of Asia. However, after the unsuccessful Australia tour, those plans fell through. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder what a tour of China would have been like. That would have been a bit weird. Oof. I mean, Ric Flair, Ric Flair didn't bat an eye about doing a show in Korea, so... Oh, God, going that to, thing. Yeah, going to China with him would definitely be no issue at all. He would just be like, Oh, the damn Chinaman! I'll, I'll fucking put him in the figure four leg lock! Is that meant to be Ric Flair's accent? I don't know. Like, I, I can't do Ric Flair's accent to save my life. I can't even do his voice to save my life. And like, and like we've been doing, we've been talking for like how long at this point? If you're expecting oh, like actual, if you're expecting me to do actual good voice impressions at this point, you're gonna have to pay me good money for that. So let's talk about let's talk about your CAW Nitro. He is a man who is in COH and CCL. He's in DCA and also AWF. Uh, of all those leagues, AWF, DCA, CCL, CUH, who would you say is your, is your favorite place to work? Um, I'll be quite honest. Um, in terms of my overall enjoyment and in terms of like my overall longevity with it, it's definitely been COH up until this up until up until this point because I've definitely felt like. Well, COH was actually the first league where I, where I felt like I could actually, like, fully develop my own character, in a sense. Like, Travis initially, like, extended the offer out to me back in 2012, when I was still a part of, um, one of the first, um, then called Shoot, Shoot Core Feds back in the day that had YouTubers on there called YTCW. And when that place started to have some real noticeable issues um travis actually reached out to me to see if i wanted to join i was very uncertain at the time but having um a bit more time to really think about it i went back to the offer that he had given and i was just like yes i would like to join and from there i started to actually finally be able to branch out in terms of the character of nitro and start to flesh him out a bit more and i felt very happy for that fact because like up until that point, I was just going with whatever I was given at that time, and I never really questioned it. And being able to actually say, yes, this is how I want to portray Nitro as a character, and this is where I would like to go with this, it actually felt like I actually had something to offer to it instead of just going along with whatever the person in charge was doing with it at the time. Well, you call yourself the, the ultimate one, or he calls himself the ultimate one, in yeah. uh, the the old COH and other places as well. When I look through a couple of the uh, call stars, which is uh, the thing that brings you and I and everyone together, we see you at call stars ten, also call stars eleven. Then we'll see a call stars twelve, call stars ten. Be involved in that um, team AWF versus team CCWO, and then in call stars eleven. Were you involved in the Rumble in Call Stars 11? I think I was involved in the Rumble in Call so. Stars 11. However, I didn't last that long. 
Well, that's why I, I, I thought so because I couldn't um, I couldn't find you on that. But you also, I think you're actually I don't know what you're going to be doing. And I'm, well, I do know, but I'll be quiet because I don't think it's been announced. So never mind. Um, when we talk about calls, where was your first call, Stars? Um, I think my first like when you say first call, Stars, do you mean as the character Nitro or for or actually watching Call Stars? Oh, did you tell us both? Um. I believe my first call stars as a character as the character of Nitro was um I think Call Stars 9 I believe. I believe that was when I was first a part of the Call Stars Rumble. Again, I could I could be remembering this off it's like um I honestly think it's either Call Stars 9 or it was Call Stars 10 when I was a part of the Team AWF versus Team CCWO match. And in terms of watching Call Stars, I first watched Call Stars with Call Stars 7, I believe. And that was when I was first getting into um, Call, like, a lot more seriously and a lot more in terms of, like, actually starting to pay attention to it as a whole and not just, like, with the one fed I was a part in. Okay. So you were telling me off air about um, your time in COH and your time as the global champion. How long would you say you were global champion for? I was global champion for a nearly or about a year. So oh, wow. I won the I won the belt in I won the belt in I believe it was either January or February of 2018, and I lost the belt in December 2018. So I think I may have just been shy a month or two of being a year of the belt, and. I'll admit, my run with the belt wasn't exactly the best in the world. I will definitely say that. I believe I only had like one or two defense, one or two defenses before I lost it. Compared to um, the person that had the belt before me, the Goonie, who had the belt from 2016 until 20s until 2018, when I wow when when he when he lost the belt. And he had a lot of defenses, but this also goes along with the schedule for COH as well, because um, the schedule with COH isn't isn't the most consistent in the world. You'll there may be a few shows coming out a few months or so down the line. There may be a huge batch of episodes coming out in a single like couple month period, or it could be a few months before the next episode comes out. And that's not me saying, oh, because they don't get it out as quickly as possible, that means they're not as good. Like Travis puts in a lot of work as he possibly can. Yeah. But this segues into the thing I feel like you want me to talk about, which is what we were discussing off off um Well I, mean, I wasn't going to, but I mean you can if you want. Well, this is something that I that I feel okay with sharing because a lot of people know about this, so it's not like I'm airing out dirty laundry on this type of thing or anything like that. But the way I lost my belt was unfortunately not the best in the not the best circumstances as well, because I didn't get told I was losing the belt until about a couple days before the show went out. So I was still of the assumption up until that conversation that, oh, hey, I'm going to be uh, retaining the belt against Phoenix and this is going to and I don't know what's going to be happening after that. I get a message from Travis and he says, OK, so, you know, the show that's going out, you're losing the belt. But this is being done as a test to feed to um, Kenyon Phoenix, um, Adam, for those that know him as well, the guy who runs New Dawn Pro and also runs the um, Kenyon Phoenix character as well. Um he basically so Travis essentially tells me that 
it's being done as a test to see if he can handle being the champion. And if he doesn't do so well, you're getting the belt back. (laughs) Yeah, as history will show you, that didn't happen. But I will tell you something about what actually ended up happening during that period. So, in the infinite wisdom of what was going on, um, the whole Heartless storyline that's currently being done in COH with Katie and Phoenix's character... um, this is something I did actually tell you off uh, microphone, by the way, but this actually does play into what was being said as well. What ended up happening next just really confused everyone alongside that as well, because Adam was actually the person that was sort of keeping everyone in check as to what was going on with this. So whenever anyone needed an update as to what was going on with the promo, I would go to Travis about it because obviously as the guy who's running COH, you would think that the guy who would be running it would know what's going on in terms of the story. So I would know what's going on in the next show. And you know what he tells me? Go talk to Adam about it. He's communicating with everyone about it. And I go talk with him. I tell him what Travis said. And he says, well, I haven't gotten an update from Travis yet. So I don't know what's going on either. So... There's a huge communications breakdown because the guy that Travis entrusted and is testing out with this has no idea what's going on, and it's not even his fault because Travis doesn't exactly, hasn't given him that information yet, and yet when I ask him about it, he just tells me, oh, go talk to Adam about it. He's the one that's keeping, that's communicating with everyone about it. I'm just going like, you're testing him! And you're, you're quote-unquote testing him with this title belt, and you're just directing him to be the one to go to? Like, come on, my dude. Like, I love, like, I will forever say Travis is a good person, and he is forever one of the, a really good person to, to like, work with and whatnot. But, my god, the dude, as it has been said in a lot of other, by a lot of other people at this point, by... So many other people, the dude has some communications issues, and this is not me wanting to say, oh, you're bad at your job because you can't communicate that well. It's just a matter of fact that Travis Sparks is is good when it comes to like getting out content, but he's sort of just gone a little bit more inconsistent with contact and keeping in touch with everyone as of late. That's all. Well, I think everybody's got their sort of uh, criticism when it comes to... Uh communication that's always been a an issue i mean i mean did the did the test work um well adam is still coh global champion up until this point and it's been over a year since that happened so i would say either he complete either i was told a fabrication to let me down easy about it or he passed that test either way He's still global champion to this day, and I actually needed to get my... And I basically took that as a sign to get a little bit more in gear with my own um, booking in terms of COH again, because I had grown a little bit complacent, and that was on me, because I was just sort of bit a bit uncertain about where I was going after the whole Heartless situation was going on in um, COH. And... I actually was able to talk it out with um, Travis, so there's no bad blood between me and Travis. To anyone who's thinking that I'm airing out the dirty laundry of Travis Sparks and why he's a bad person to work with, no, this is not the this is not the thing I'm trying to get out of this. This is more just me saying my personal piece on this and as to why this is sort of a thing that people talk about because this is a known thing that has been happening recently and 
this is obviously stuff that I felt needed to be addressed because it's important to anyone who wants to join COH or anyone that works with Travis that they need to be aware of this type of stuff. But um, please, but do be sure that you do manage to keep your keep yourself on top of keeping in contact with him as much as you make sure to make sure that he's keeping himself on top of it because at this point it's it's i will always say and it's it's a reminder communication in terms of keeping in touch with the people that you work with is a two-way street if you continuously think that oh i just gotta wait for promos to come in and you don't take that initiative you'll It'll be seen as being complacent or lazy, and I definitely do get that idea. That's sort of where I just sort of said to myself, right, I got to get myself back into action because, like, I've this is sort of where that sort of mentality came from. And I'll be honest, it's sort of just allowed me to be more revitalized in, in a sense of being able to take control of where I want to go in a way instead of just being all like, oh, hey, I'm just okay with seeing where it goes from here, I suppose. Well, you know, it is... Uh... It's always a two-way street, as you said, with all uh, all things like that. So, of course, communication has always had that conversation of quite a lot of the other podcasts where it comes to um, the, the communications always. And sometimes when you come and talk to someone, it's not necessarily um, a bad thing. You're not bugging them. But sometimes a person who's doing a show has got about a thousand things to juggle. So they may forget about you, but it's always a, a good friendly reminder for anything related to storyline plans in terms of yourself as well so with that being said you're in all these sort of leagues uh coh and cco and all these other ones here what what, what is your character nitro what's his sort of identity what's his thing hmm i guess sort of just break i guess it's sort of a bit hard to really just say as to what that really entails because like I'll be quite honest, when people keep on saying, oh, my character is this or that, and it's just very hard to really just um, talk about it or really pinpoint it down, and it's a lot harder for me, because, like, I have to deal with, like, five, with, like, four to five different versions of Nitro in multiple different feds, because, like, when you talk about, like, who is Nitro, and I just say, well, I just have to answer back, which version are you talking about here? Because AWF Nitro is pretty much what I would consider to be what Nitro would be like if he just like completely just stopped caring entirely and just simply became like this unhinged, almost psychotic person who didn't really care about the world around him or really anything but just getting his own way by any means. But then again, a more subdued version of the AWF Nitro is what I'm currently portraying in CCL wherein I'm sort of being portrayed as this person that has gone through hell in matches over the past few years and hence and the effects of those matches because CCL Nitro was hardcore was CCL's last hardcore champion and as such a lot of matches I was a part of were hardcore related and as a result of that injuries happened a lot of beatdowns have happened to the point where in story He's more or less running on borrowed time in a way because it's sort of running on a will he, won't he retirement storyline. And it's sort of just like, fuck it. If I'm going out, I'm going out on my own terms, which means pure fucking chaos. Then you well, get... let's, let's, I'm just going to pause you down. Let's, let's just talk, talk about uh, the CCL version because I think that's kind of the point that I want to get onto uh, yeah. now. As we record this, we had CCL Forsaken came yep. out and um if you haven't watched it we'll watch it because i'm about to tell you an ending but 
You, well, Nitro, punted a bloody Mason Chronic in the head at the conclusion of the Court All Stars title match between the Ben Hopkins brand and Mason Chronic. And, uh, well, you, you, Nitro kind of took out Mason Chronic, so what the hell is going on there? What did, why, why did Nitro do that is, is the question. Um, well, this again goes back to what I was making mention of before about um, running the will-he-won't-he-retirement angle because before that, on the same show where Mason Chronic actually won um, actually won um, March Madness in order to get that shot against Ben Hop, to get a shot for the CCL World title, he was also... Um, the character in CCL for Nitro basically cut a promo basically outlining that my body is basically almost like basically running on fumes at this point and I don't know how long I have left doctors have said I have two options either slow down or retire and the gist of it was fuck that I'm not I'm not slowing down I'm not retiring I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm doing and if I die I fucking die and then uh. And the whole point, and the, one of the big cruxes of that promo was, I refuse to allow a few injuries or a few life-threatening scenarios let myself fade into the background like it's happened so often in my career. I will be remembered no matter what. And that was essential. And what happened to Mason Chronic was essentially sort of pretty much a cat was more or less the result of that sort of mentality and that promo essentially that he refused to allow himself to fade into the background behind people like Ben Hopkins and TGO and Alistair Cross off the Ministry of Greatness and it's also sort of the catalyst behind a, what a lot of people have said about the CCL version of Nitro saying he can never get the job done that he's just seen as a fluke that he's never really been able to pick up any sort of seriousness in terms of being seen as a legitimate threat so what is the biggest way to be seen as a threat to people then by taking out one of the biggest people in ccl in mason chronic yeah well you certainly uh kind of picking a uh a fight with something i don't know what you want to do but the question remains if mason chronic is ready for his world title match against the old raging redneck ray guess and uh well, we'll we'll obviously follow and see what happens with you in the sort of coming uh, coming weeks but the uh the, the conversation goes to something a little bit different i want to want to talk about and to be honest with you uh Chloe, we've nearly gone two hours on this podcast we've we've talked a hell of a lot on god damn everything i know if i um if i basically looked through my podcast i'm pretty sure well in about four minutes we you will be the longest actually no no d wall's certainly there with two hours and a half so we're technically not right there so we, we could continue on what i want to ask you something a little bit uh, left field actually is I, a lot of people always find this kind of uh, art a little bit strange, and that's the the art of anime. And of course, you've got a lot, quite a lot of different um, uh, anime characters in your show, along sort of video game characters as well. Um, oh my god! I just realised you got another character that I know. What's you that? have you have the Simon Blackwell character who is in the Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura. Ace Attorney, my Ace dude. Attorney. <laughs> Ace Ventura. That's Jim Carrey. That's the wrong one. Ace Attorney. Son of a... I love them games, man. Ace uh, Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright. That's what it's all about. I love those, uh, love those games. Um, 
Why? Well, that's just, you, you've just made me go on a different conversation with this now. God's sake. See, we've got too much in common. This is all your fault. With um, the, the, the Ace Attorney games, which uh, I do love, you think, well, you're thinking that they should bring those games, like the new set of them, to the Switch, the Nintendo Switch. Hmm. But sort of doing a, 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 a sort of next sort of generational thing, because I know it's uh, gone up to, to a point. To be honest, we could be talking about this, and no one will probably have a clue what the hell we're talking about, so so whatever. I feel like some people that are listening to this may have some kind of an idea, because, like, well, Ace Attorney as a whole is very much a cross is very much a cross sort of... Um, fandom sort of thing so like one group that may be listening to this may be all like yeah I know what you're talking about or another side may be thinking oh I don't know what you're talking about but I might be interested in this a little bit so well, um why did you because uh, of all the characters why did you pick him because he's kind of I wouldn't really say he's a uh, well on the I think it's I think it's the monstrous turnabout or something like that I think in um oh what game was he in now wasn't he it? was in uh he was in um he was in the fifth Ace Attorney game. The fifth one, wasn't it? Because it was interesting you picked that because I thought you would have um sort of used a little bit of Miles Edgeworth. I think he would be kind of a cool character to use as kind of like a an anti-hero, I think, to a degree. Hmm. Well, it's also because it's playing into the background of Simon Blackwell's character as well, because um he's actually a he actually does have some form of combat background behind him, and okay. before he became and before he became a prosecutor, he actually did have that sort of um, combat background behind him, and that was sort of why, in favor of characters like uh, like Miles Edgeworth, like um, Phoenix, and uh, aside from Apollo, was Apollo Justice as well, yeah. that I chose him because of that fact that he would make the most sense being fitted into that, rather than just having this character in simply because, oh hey, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah, I can see that point. That 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 makes sense for it. Um, I think one of the what I what I tried to do. I'm a big fan of all the uh, all the games. I, I think I got into I found Spirit of Justice. I think on the store one time, and then I decided right, I'm going to go play everything from from the beginning up. And I I'm sort of making my way through it, sort of juggling everything else. But then um, I got the uh, Phoenix right mixed with uh, Professor Layton. That little puzzle game they did. And then yeah. I um, decided to get the the Miles Edgeworth spin-offs, which you get the first one, but the second one is technically uh, a Japanese only game, which I managed to find a ROM where people translated it. And then um, th there's quite a lot of cool guys that work on translating some of the Japanese one because that's um, those games which uh, are the what I'd call like the Sherlock Holmesy kind of ones, which are like the 3DS, the the Die Gaia and ones which are the um japanese specific which you can only get there which is like a way 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 back going into i want to say like the 30s or whatever it is which is like the throwback to uh i think it's one of the ancestors of phoenix or something like that which you can only get which is kind of annoying why they keep doing japanese specifics it's like the europe's the europeans want it and the americans want it down and give it to us well, it's also mainly, well, I guess it's mainly because of the fact that sales play a lot of it to it as yeah. well. Like, one of the big reasons why um, Miles Edgeworth Investigations 2 never came, 
I mean, Ace Attorney Investigations 2 never came across from Japan to to the rest of the world was mainly because of the fact that Investigations 1 didn't sell as well as the rest of the franchise. Yeah. And given the fact this was like 2011, 2012, I believe, when this happened, and it wouldn't be for a few more years before we got um, the next game to the West, and only then it would be a digital-only release and instead of a physical release, that was basically where a lot of people started to think that maybe Capcom didn't really have that much faith in the franchise outside of Japan. And to be honest, if they were based, because a lot of companies do base it upon sales alone, that's where I feel like a lot of a lot of reasons as to why these games don't really get that much exposure outside of Japan. Yeah. Hell, in a more recent example, um, there was um, the fifth game in the Yakuza franchise that um, one person in particular is going to love me making mention of this for. Um, because the first four games of the Yakuza franchise were all released outside of Japan, and they sold moderately okay, but the sales dwindled after each franchise, after each iteration, to the point where um, Sega didn't really didn't even bother to release um, the fifth game outside of outside of Japan. And it was only until a big petition got got their attention that they decided to finally release it outside of Japan. And the success was so well received that they that they've released every single game of the Yakuza franchise, including the remakes that have come out recently outside of the West, outside of Japan, and into the West almost as soon as they've been released in Japan. Right. So, so that goes to show that if um people people actually put like their support behind a franchise like that, that anything could really happen in terms of getting that type of response from a company like that. But unfortunately, not a lot of companies are like that, and not a lot of um, franchises can be saved with something like that. But yeah. it does show that that kind of fan support can actually get can actually lead to that kind of um, outcry being successful in a way. So when we talk about this kind of stuff of, of sort of anime and stuff like that, which is kind of what I was going into before we did a sidebar there, we yeah. we see a sort of a lot of the fantasy places that do a lot of the sort of anime characters and things. And I used to be into anime a lot when I was a kid, and then I've only I've just recently got back into it now, um, just to sort of get embossed in. The first thing I checked out on um, on Netflix is Beyblade Burst, which was something that I used to watch when I was the the. the Original series in like 2004, 2005. Um, love Baby Blast, really, really good. Uh, good tea. I think it's, it's once again, it's all about the story. I think it's really, really great. What if somebody wanted to get into anime? What kind of sort of shows would you suggest is sort of a good place to start? Oh man, okay. If I were to go down the complete list, we would, we would, this, this podcast would be extended by another oh, hour God. or so. So I'm just going to narrow it down to the first five off the top of my head. And this is actually very topical because I've actually been showing a lot of a few of these shows to my to cast her because like whenever we have like days off and we don't have to work the next day, I've just been spending like nights showing her like a bunch of anime shows because she's starting to get into it herself. And okay. the, and these are actually some of the shows I've actually been watch I've actually been showing her. Um, if you're really into the kind of like really comical or slice of life aspects with a bit of fantasy added into it, the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya is a very good is a very good show. It's it deals with this um high school student it deals with this life of high school students wherein this sort of um manic pixie dream girl in a sense sort of just 
has this obsession with aliens, time travelers, and espers, and all this kind of occult sort of stuff. And she basically says, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone unless you're this type of person. And unbeknownst to her, she gathers up this big group of people, this group of people that actually are secretly aliens, time travelers, and espers. And it turns out that apparently this girl, Haruhi Suzumiya, apparently controls apparently can control the world with her um, sort of cognition in a way. And a lot of hijinks ensue from there. So that's an easy show to get into because it's short and it's and it's very easy to get into because of that. But it also has some really good um, storylines with it as well. And it's a really sort of good gateway anime as well. Okay. Um, if you're wanting something in terms of a little bit more action-oriented, um, getting into this is a this series is a part of a much bigger franchise, but I always list this as a starting point because the storyline well canonically starts from this point, and this is actually like one of my favorite animes of all time. But Fate Zero, um, it deals with this um sort of it deals with um this this um centuries um this this concept called the holy grail war wherein a bunch of magical families pick one of their members of the family to represent them every 100 years and what happens is that each member of the mage families that are part of it can summon up these spirits known as servants which rep which are represented by seven different classes and they summon them and they're more or less just a uh, mythical beings from history like you have king arthur you have kukulain you have um gilgamesh you have um hercules you have all these different kinds of um, mythical beings and they're summoned as specific classes and they duke it out until one mage is left standing and they gain the whole the supposed holy grail which will grant the user which will grant the winner any wish that they so desire the series is dark. It's very depressing. It is very, very much a show wherein I would not recommend this to any younger viewers because of how dark it gets at the very end of it. But it is one of my favorite stories of all time. And the franchise that it's a part of is really just like so good to the point where I get, get this as a starting point. So, okay. If, if you're big into action and fantasy, this is that's a really good show for you. Um, just very quick, because I know I'm going to start rambling down at this point if I keep on going, but um, but I'm just off the top of my head. Um, if you're in sort of on the same vein, and it's also because it's written by the same person, Palia Magi Magica Magica is a really good Magical Girl anime because it just sort of deconstructs the idea of Magical Girls in the sort of cutesy aesthetics of it, and it really just takes it down a path where you don't really think that most Magical Girl animes would go down without being too, oh, it's too wedgy for me sort of thing. Um, as well as that, you also have animes like, um, just again, thinking off the top of my head right here. Um, oh, I'm doing a big blank right now. Um, just sort of doing a bit of a, doing a bit of a fig right now. Uh, Berserk is also a really good one. I, I say Berserk is also really good as well. Cause, um, it's also a really good fantasy anime as well. It's one of the biggest, like classic fantasy animes as well. So I would definitely recommend that as well for anyone who loves fantasy series. It also gets very dark at the very end. So please, if there are any kids wanting to get into it, um, kind of wait until you're older for that. And, um, finally, off the top of my head, um, obviously Cowboy Bebop is definitely a number one recommendation. It is super easy to get into if you love space opera series, and if you love a lot of 
classical musical references in your anime because every single anime every single episode of the series is actually um a reference to a classical song from history from the 90s and backwards and it's very much a very awesome space opera series or a space mecha series with cowboys in space and it's just so good overall and that's like one of the big recommendations for classical anime i would recommend overall Again, I could go on for like an, <laughs> I, I could go on for another hour talking about like all these different recommendations for anime that I would tell people to get into. But at the end of the day, I would just say go out, just look at what's currently airing or look at what's been looking over the past decade or two. Look and make a short list of what of at what um just piques your interest. Look because there's a whole bunch of different genres and subgenres as to what you could get into and make a little list. And no doubt you'll possibly find something that's that you that you'd be wanting to get into because at the end of the day, recommendations can only do so much. But it's going out there and actually looking at what you would be interested in that really gets to what you would want to get out of it at the end of the day. Well, I could uh, sit here and listen to you talk about uh, talk about anime all day long. So we certainly could be uh, doing this. And to be honest with you, we talk about a hell of a lot of shiz on this podcast, and I think. Uh, we will certainly bring you back to talk about some other issues because I don't think we can pack it all in this pot. Well, we could, but it'll probably end up being like a four or five hour show. And I think people probably won't sit through the whole thing. Maybe that a couple. Of oh hours. yeah, yeah. We will. Uh, we'll start to wrap up this podcast here. But before we do, I of course got to do the old Q and A that we do at the end of every single show. I've got some questions for you, and I've also got the of course questions that i ask every single person on the podcast let's start with that now chloe who is the most overrated caw danny jackpot no question oh. <laughs> somewhere ryan paul jones and scott mcshane are getting excited now <laughs> uh believe me i've got a lot of things i could say about danny jackpot and it has nothing to do with the fact that the vivian verse has been overhyped for years at this point and but it also has a lot to do with the fact that danny jackpot as a person is not that very good either and by extension his character is shit i think you've just made uh two people listen to this podcast very 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 happy they're almost uh, jumping out of their seats now with the, with the, ex- the excitement of it but uh, i guess it makes sense on the opposite side, who is the most underrated CW? Oh, most underrated? Um, definitely. Um, I would definitely say either Jamal Betlam or or James Needham or James Needham. Those two are definitely coming out of the woodwork right now, and you could definitely say, oh, but Jamal Betlam is currently a made, is currently a big player in DCA and CCL. And James Needham is currently doing his own thing right now, coming out of the woodwork as well. But those two have only just started out, and I would dare say they are definitely the personification of the future of where car wrestling is going. And I, and as somebody who has been in, who has been a part of car wrestling for 13 years at this point, I can definitely see the future in them. And all I can say is this: the future is looking very good with them. Well, James Needham is uh, in the next headline competition that I talked about at the uh, at the start top of the show. So, of course, if you uh, are a person that thinks that James Needham is underrated, you can of course vote for him in that tournament as well. And Jamal Bedlam is uh, someone who, you know, he's been getting into a bit of a Twitter war, you know, uh, Chloe with uh, with Jet Tornado. So I'm wondering mm. if there's going to be uh, if there's going to be something there, you know. Hmm. Guess we'll see. Right. So. 
couple of questions and then we will head on down the road in terms of this whole podcast. So let's get on to it. What for you, Chloe, is your proudest moment in life? Um, in life, it was when I was it was when I graduated from university because uh, back in 2016 as a um, b- getting my bachelor's degree in contemporary arts because that was oh, something okay. that that was something I never thought I would actually be able to do because um, in order to get into university over here you need to meet a certain level of ATAR points in order to get even be considered for university and I got into my degree by the skin of my teeth to the point where for the first semester I was essentially told I need to get above a certain grade level otherwise I would be cut from the degree and that and being able to not only get past that but also be able to graduate alongside everybody else when i felt personally i didn't do as well as everybody else but still managed to get my degree alongside them that was a proud moment because like i was the first member of my of my offsprings and the first member of my family that was that was of like my age group to be able to graduate from university at such an age and that in all honesty is still something i'm very proud of to this day well that is a great thing what are you what are you going to be using the degree for is there any sort of end job you've you're going to use it or are you going to freelance well obviously i want to be able to use it to become like to become an actor whether it be as um on stage theater or voice acting because voice acting is a huge is a huge um i would not necessarily a hobby but it's a passion of mine and that's sort of why i try and put as much effort into cause i do because like i because well i've done quite a lot of i've spent like a majority of like my young adult years studying theater and studying a lot of acting and i want to be able to keep on using my talents to this degree and whether that be in call whether it be in paid professional work i want to keep on being able to use what i have in terms of being able to either freelance it or be able to put it as a full-time career in a sense at the end of the day well, that is a great thing, and I'd hopefully you uh, use it into a great place. Because again, even when I checked out some of your stuff, uh, of course I went on about the title verse, but your uh, your sort of your thumbnails and even the presentation of your shows is very slick. That's what it's all about. That's one thing I like about uh, a show to bring people and lure people in is make sure you have good presentation, and that is something that I think uh, that could work. One last question before we head on out here: What is the most useless useless talent? that you have the most useless talent um i can make my head vibrate just by thinking about it too much what the fuck yeah like i could just force my head to vibrate all on its own and i don't know how i managed to do that i just like if i think about doing it hard enough my head will just vibrate and It'll just um by itself just do that. And I don't know how I discovered that, but it's just like I have no idea how to be able to use this, but it's a cool thing that I found out one day, and it's like, how? Why? I don't know where this came from, but it's a thing I have. Well, that is a uh, a useless term. That is very, very <laughs> I'm glad cool. you agree. I'm glad you agree. Well, I can think of a total of zero things that you will ever use that for, so I just want you to know that. Anyways, uh, we are wrapping up this podcast here. I appreciate you coming on, Chloe. I think this is probably, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, this is probably the best podcast I've ever done. We we 
got into a lot of serious stuff. We've gone to a lot of great stuff. Uh, and you know something's good when I haven't even asked you about, you know, I haven't even gone to sort of detail about your show, VWU, all this other stuff. So we'll certainly bring you back. Give uh, give the people, give their ears a little bit of a break as they uh, digest all the stuff we've been talking about. But we'll certainly bring you back at some point in the future to talk once again. I will definitely be more than happy to be brought back on at some point, whenever that may be. Just give me the word and I will be more than happy to be brought back on. I'm glad you have enjoyed me on here. I have been want I have been actually waiting for this for quite some time and I feel like and if you feel like this is the best podcast you've done so far, then I feel like my excitement and I hope that my energy has just come through with this podcast as well because I've been really trying to just bring that up with this because the the amount of work that you put into not just FWZ talk but everything in terms of FWZ really does deserve something like this as well. Oh, you're too kind to me. Why can't anybody else be this kind? Why can't someone like you, Scott McShannon, be nice like that? All you do is give me shit and stick tired of it. Anyway, before we do head on down the road, is there anything you want to promote in terms of social media, where they can find you on Twitter, Facebook, your YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff? We'll, of course, put that all in the uh, description of this video. Or this well, well, obviously, you can you can check out ACL or the All-Star Call League. Um, with Season 5 just coming up very soon, um, we're going to be starting it up next month. So if you're at all interested in catching up, um, we have dedicated playlists for every season, all neat and tidy up for anybody that's wanting to catch up in the um, playlist section of the YouTube section. Again, we're going to be starting out again in May. So do look out for that if you're interested in that. Um, outside of that, that um i do have a personal twitter account but that's mainly to promote like my voice acting efforts and whatnot i have been trying to get better at using that and the youtube channel is also going to be used for that as well links below in there as well i hope that they will be attached to that as well you can find me at um at chloe subflora va on both twitter and youtube for anything like that um on my youtube account Anything for promoting any kind of voice acting work, any kind of essays or top tens or any sort of like semi-related anime-related content that would be going on to there outside of voice acting will be posted on there as well. I've been trying to get back into that type of stuff because it's been sort of an on and off sort of passion project for a long time. But I'm utilizing that to sort of focus it more for voice acting and anything of the like because as you would do... Um, the passion projects and whatnot really just sort of does uh, bring that sort of stuff out. I also run a daily vlog channel as well, although I am a little bit behind on that type of stuff as well, wherein I just vlog little bits here and there throughout some of my days, and I just be all like, hey, so this is what I'm doing today. I do, right. talk, I do talk a little bit about um, backstage ACL stuff as well, as well as my personal stuff as well. So if you're ever interested about that type of stuff, if you do follow my um, ACL stuff, that's down there as well. So I have quite a bit that I'm working on as well. So sorry if it's a little bit much to put down there for you. Well, you do have a lot going on, and that's what we like to hear. Lots of stuff going on, lots of things to check out, especially in these times where we have no choice but check out uh, a lot of things virtually. But as I mentioned, this is probably one of the best podcasts that I've ever done. If you're wondering, Jamco, what is the worst podcast you've ever done? That's with the Ben Hopkins brand. This has been my conversation <laughs> with Chloe. <laughs> Including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Check out all things FWC on the